0: Low Bowling presents Sweep the Rack podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike.
1: Rob, what's good?
0: Yo, what's going on? Big Mike, man. It's been a little bit since we've been on, it feels like. Yeah, we took a little break from the people. You know, coming back stronger than ever, though. Uh, especially you on the lanes, man. I heard you had a big, uh, a big action match on Friday night on Dougie Vision. Uh, bowled pretty well. well
1: you, you know, 'cause you're you're uh, you're three digits
0: richer because of it. No, I am, man. I had faith. I had the confidence in you, Mike, from from bowling back ways in the juniors that you were gonna come through, and you did. I got a I got a, a nice little three figure. Uh, deposit into my PayPal account yesterday morning
1: because a big mic coming through. Yeah, no doubt. Rob had faith and it was, uh, it was definitely a sweep the rack uh, appearance. So, so we decided to uh, to, to kick in a little bit as a, as uh as a, as a team thing. So uh, yeah, I went up to, so sh- we should explain what Dougie vision is first, I guess. Right. So, yeah. Dougie I mean, vision, yeah. So Dougie vision uh, in a few weeks, for all, for all of our Flow Bowling subscribers, we're going to be releasing an episode that uh, is going to introduce you guys to the Underground Bowling Association, uh, which Flow Bowling is going to be covering their major event coming up in a couple weeks. So uh, we have that ep- episode in store for you guys a couple weeks down the road, and one of the people that's going to appear in, the, in that episode is a guy who goes by Dougie, and he, for several months now, has been running uh, an event that he calls Dougie Vision. And, Rob, you and I had both checked it out on Facebook. He broadcasts on Facebook every Friday night and sometimes on Saturdays. Mostly it's a Friday night thing. So uh, it's all action matches is basically what it is. It's a bunch of different people who meet up at a bowling center, and most of the time it's at the same bowling center. Um, And, yeah, they meet up, and he arranges action matches, and people bowl from 7 p.m. until the wee hours of the morning. And uh, we had him on a couple weeks back, Rob. And like I said, we're going to release that episode uh, in a few weeks. But in, in the course of getting that done, you know, he had invited me. Uh, since we invited him on the show, he invited me to come up and be a part of his show, Dougie Vision. And I kind of told him that I don't really like to bowl on easy shit and that I, I just prefer to bowl on something more challenging where a shot has to be made. So last week I saw that it popped up on his, his uh, Dougie Vision feed that uh, he was going to be, or Lodi Lanes rather, was going to be putting out the U.S. Open pattern from last year, uh, first qualifying block, which was the toughest of the four patterns from what the people who bowled the U.S. Open said mostly, and uh, that they were going to be putting that out. So I hit him up, and yeah, I took a match with a, with a local, uh, really you know, really good local ball-sponsored Rob, you know how I feel about that. You know my pet peeves about that. So I found that to be really interesting. Uh, ball sponsored UBA bowler, um, you know, real good local league bowler, and uh, yeah, took this match uh, for three hundred, best of five, and yeah, had to go up to Lodi Lanes, Rob, and throw down and uh, get it in on the U.S. Open pattern. So when I, Dougie, you know, was going to put out something tough on Dougie Vision. I had to jump in, you know. I'm, you you know me, Rob. I'm not one to talk shit and then not back it up. So when I saw him put that out there, I definitely uh, had to jump in.
0: Mm. So what happened with this match? Uh, how many games did you win? Tell the viewers.
1: Yeah. So first of all, they were really tough. They, you know, yeah. I, they they weren't as tough as I thought they were going to be because I had done a little research uh, on the U.S. Open from last year while I was getting you know prepared to bowl the match. And uh, yeah, they weren't as tough as I expected them to be, but they were definitely challenging. So I started off using your thing, which I thought was the best strategy because out was really tight and the middles were kind of hooking. And uh, I was standing on about seven. I drift a little bit, but I was looking right in front of me at about seven and you know, I didn't have a lot of success in the beginning of the game. Uh, I just threw bad shots. And then when I threw a few good shots, it seemed like I didn't have my feet in the right place. So in the ninth frame, I moved my feet a few boards left and executed in the ninth, tenth, and eleventh frame and threw a, threw a three-bagger there, Rob, to, uh, to force my opponent uh, to strike, to get the first one in the tenth. And he was not able to do that. And, you know, I said on Dougie Vision that that's one of the things I like about bowling on something challenging is that when you get up there and you only need one hit or you need a mark, it's not a given. You know, when you're bowling on a typical house shot, you know, you get me in a situation where I need just one strike on a typical house shot. I would say seven, eight out of ten times I'm going to get it. You know, so, uh, yeah, the first match I won by a few pins, throwing the last three in the ninth, two in the tenth. Second game, I definitely hit some some serious transition where my urethane started to hook real early. Even when I moved left, I kind of moved into where he was playing and it still was hooking early. And he kind of had the best look that I had seen him have in, in, in practice and in the first game and a half. And he was playing in and kind of just spraying it right, I would say. So I moved in and switched to, uh, switched to a resin ball, got away from the urethane, and kind of just tried to copy what he was doing and just execute it better. And uh, I didn't carry real well in that second game when I did execute it in the second half of the game. So I ended up losing that one by a few sticks. And then, uh, yeah, the third and fourth game, Rob, I, to me, from my perspective, they were never really in question. I mean, I had a good look. Uh, I felt confident with what I was doing. My spare shooting was horrendous. Uh, it was a million degrees in the building, and my spare ball field was not good at all. So the uh, the spare shooting needed some work. But in terms of my confidence in what I was doing and, and my ability to execute what I was trying to do on the on the first shot, I definitely felt really comfortable out there. The last game, uh, yeah, he kind of took some weird strategies. My opponent, the last game, at one at one point he tried to throw plastic off the corner, basically at the headpin. But th- they were so tight out that when he didn't get it l- going left enough, yeah, he ended he ended up leaving some messes up there uh, with a plastic ball, kind of chopping the right half of the rack off. So yeah, it was tough, man. I mean, to me. You know, as I said on Dougie Vision, as I've said on this podcast before, and Rob, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too. You know, if you if you really don't bowl on demanding conditions regularly, you really don't have that clear of an idea of what a good standard of a good shot is. It's not the
0: the sport is is not the same, completely different on a house pattern compared to. A U.S. Open pattern, even it's—you're not even playing the same sport, Mike.
1: No, and honestly, like I—I I, I could tell that my opponent didn't have a ton of experience on sports stuff, um, just by some of the decisions he made and how to attack them, and you know how to play the lanes and and even how to shoot spares. And he, I mean, right. just hooking it at spares, yeah, you know, not, like hooking it at spares yeah. on that stuff. I mean, come on, like forget right. it. You know? I I even I even tried to I shot the bucket straight once I shot the three, six, nine, ten straight twice. I made it once missed it once. But yeah, on stuff like that, I mean, those when you do those kind of things, you're you're showing me that you don't have a lot of experience on this type of stuff. And in the long run, you know, even in a best of five match or even more so in a best of seven match or even a longer format, you know, those things are really going to matter. Um, so yeah, I think that my experience in, uh, in bowling on tougher conditions and kind of focusing my bowling on that definitely showed itself in the match. And, uh, yeah, but it was awesome, man. It was awesome. You know, kudos to my opponent. You know, I shook his hand when we were done. Uh, you know, there wasn't really a ton of chirping going on during our match a little bit here and there. He, he crossed over a lot, to be honest with you, Rob. And mm-hmm. I, I said to him at one point during the second. That he was winning, I think. I think he started that game cross cross, and then crossed a couple other times later in the game where he didn't strike, but he left like a five pin, you know, something really easy to make. And uh, at one point in that game, you know, I looked at him and I told him, I said, you know, regardless of what happens here, because I could sense it was going to be one one. I said, if there's a rematch, you know, the only way I'm bowling you is if crossovers are nine out. You know, because <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, because he threw he threw several crosses in the first game too. You know that not yeah. only struck the ones that that left to spare as well, and and you know the shots that I didn't execute, I was you know I was leaving stuff that really wasn't that easy to make. So you know it's frustrating. It's it, it's it's to me as an amateur bowler and somebody who bowls leagues, sport leagues with people who you know maybe don't don't play, quote unquote play the lanes the way they should be played. I guess is the way I'm going to say it and kind of hunt at the head pin. Does that make sense, Rob? Yeah. I'm okay. Just like, like, just kind of abandon all play of the pattern and just kind of go at the head pin. Right.
0: Yeah. Just kind
1: of put the white flag up is pretty much what. Yeah. And, and it's, listen, I'm just saying as an amateur bowler who does try and play the patterns and who does kind of have an idea of what strategy you should be using on these various lane conditions, you see, it's just really frustrating when, somebody does that and uses that strategy of either, you know, just head, head pin hunting or crossing over and making spares. And yeah, you, you miss by two and end up with six and they miss by 10 and end up with nine spare, Hmm. you know, and and it is, I'm not going to lie. It's frustrating to me. It's one of the most frustrating things about the level of sport bowling that I bowl at. Hmm. It's like the old days of the high roller
0: only you were bowling for one match and you were in for a $1,250 entry fee and the person you bowled against would cross over five or six times in the match and it's a one game match and you would lose when you like flat 10, four, nine, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just the way it is in a one game match, but you know, thankfully yeah. you guys are bowling best three out of five or four to seven. So I'll take my chances on a, on a U.S. open at three out of five or four to seven, because you could get lucky and win one game, but over a six or seven game span, you know, you're most likely that strategy is not going to pay off.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was awesome. It was great to be out there. Shout to Dougie and Dougie vision for welcoming, uh, me and welcoming sweep the rack. We, uh, we greatly appreciate it. Rob, I told them when you hit the East coast, we're in there, son doubles match, me and you.
0: Oh, see, I was going to ask you if you, that was, if this was your only appearance and you were going to take the money and run, um, but let me ask solo act, Mike, is, was that a one and done celebrity uh, appearance by you or do you plan on going back and bowling in the near future?
1: No, nah, I'm here. I'm here. If they're going to if they're going to put out a shot that requires uh, a high level of execution, then I'm willing to bowl for some cash. You know, as right. long as it's against somebody that I don't consider to be. Uh, what phrase do I want to use? I'll say a professional amateur or anything above that. You know, I'm not there to bowl against pros. I'm there to bowl against other strictly amateurs, you know, who uh, who don't do this for a living, who who aren't in the bowling industry for a living. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm down. But definitely when you come out, and as a matter of fact, I haven't even mentioned this to our boy yet, but I would love to try and get him up there and get a doubles match with him. That would be great. That would be amazing. You know, yeah, if, if I come out to East Coast, I'd have to uh,
0: find maybe – ship a couple balls early and and make an appearance and and get my uh foot back in the action door but it'll be fun just one night just to go and bowl a little bit and just to to have fun with it but also like you know see if i still got it you know
1: yeah no question you know i mean it was it was really fun to be out there and uh be bowling for something you know definitely got the adrenaline flowing so uh so, yeah, it was really cool. Like I said, shout to those guys. Shout to dougie He's really doing his thing. I mean, Rob, he had a whole half of the bowling alley going with action matches the whole night. You know, while we were bowling, there were people waiting to get on pairs when they opened up after the first set of matches were done. It was almost mm-hmm. like a 7 o'clock shift and a 9.30 shift of action matches. It was a lot of people. You know, it was, it, it was really uh, it was cool to see. You know, I can say action is back in, in New Jersey, at least with Dougie Vision anyway. I know he goes to New York City. He was in South Jersey, Philly area on Saturday doing his thing. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, he's like, really he's interesting like, to see. Mike, is he like the Don King of bowling? Oh, he's like a cross between Don King, Jesus uh, Mero, and Dave Chappelle, I would say. <laughs> like, okay, I, Dave Chappelle, you know, I've you I watched Dougie Virgin – you can, anybody out there who listens can watch it. You just go on Facebook, search for Douglas Haran, H-E-R-R-O-N. It's an avatar with a, a guy with a little pink hat on the top of his head. And yeah, he broadcasts it whenever, whenever he's doing it, you can just jump on Facebook and watch. And, you know, it's, it's not only bowling entertainment, sort of like us, Rob, it's not only bowling entertainment, but there's a certain level of, uh, of, of outside the bowling world comedy that goes on with, uh with his broadcast as well. So
2: I found it really interesting,
1: and I I know you've tuned in. What are your thoughts on it?
2: Ha ha,
0: yo, my man, Dougie's funny, dude. Like he, <laughs> I mean, he cracks me up. But the, my only thing that I would tell it to Dougie is see if he could uh, focus a little bit more on the good matches. Um, like especially like I know Skian and Alex were were, were bowling with each other, and uh, I I know that match was really intriguing to me, but you know. I, I get like, he's trying to cover all the matches, but when you got like really one solid action match going on or two solid action matches going on, I feel like a lot of people would want to tune in to watch those matches specifically. But uh, you know, it'd be cool if you get updates to other matches to the people, like, you know, someone like me, who's got a little bit of money on the line, you know, I want to know what's going on in your match, but he's only one man with one phone and he's too busy doing shots at the bar or stealing people's chicken fingers.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, but he's definitely a social butterfly, no question. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's not only some action bowling; it's some it's some partying. Yeah, in that match, Rob, the the guy that I bowled, uh, Havel, I believe is his name, Havel Wright. Uh, he actually bowled in that second match against Alex in Skiana, with a local um a local regional pro, uh, Brent Tishuk, I believe is his last name. And, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good match. I watched some of that one, too, you know, after I got home. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, it was really cool. When you come out, next time you hit the East Coast, we're going to have to make it out there, you know, no question. And, uh, Rob, you just were on the East Coast, though. I was. You just made it out to the East Coast. It just wasn't uh, wasn't far enough south for us to, to link up and go to Dougie Vision. But uh, you just got back from your first experience at Bayside, man. Let's oh. talk about that after a little bit.
0: All right. Uh, man, um, first off, the one thing that really got me when I first got there was the facility that Charlie uh, and his partners built over there. What a great facility. I mean, really. Like, not only is it, like, bowler-friendly. What I mean by the the, the facility is just clean. It's beautiful. Uh, but there's bars everywhere. Like, it's, it's the easiest thing to get a drink, Mike. I didn't have to wait it off. I wanted to get myself a drink. Um, you know, the rooftop bar, which is open during the summer and some probably in the spring is, is awesome. Uh, you know, they had a DJ and they had food and they have Mike, the taco truck in the rooftop. Oh my goodness. The fish tacos were my favorite. I I, I must've ate like six of them. Uh, but you know, he, he's got a good thing going there. It's in an industrial area, Portland, Maine. So it's away from the downtown district. So it's pretty friendly. It's easy to get into the building. It's easy to probably get a parking spot from what I, I saw, and it's just a, a great facility. And kudos to Charlie, man, for what he did there. He created a a atmosphere none like anything I've ever witnessed in my bowling life. And I've been bowling since I was three years old. Uh, just a, a a great facility. If you know you're of drinking age, and if you're not of drinking age, but more of I think. You would imagine, Mike, and you've been there, the target audience, I would say like anybody 21 and up,
2: <laughs>
0: really 21, they're usually like 35, that's 40, um, just, you know, amazing facility at Bayside. Uh, the city of Portland, man, is a great is a great city, the downtown area, uh, 4th Street with all the, the, you know, lobster roll places uh, and the, the seafood restaurants on the pier. The city itself is just a is, is is a pretty is a pretty cool city, excluding a couple of the the the, the shady areas, um you know that you kind of stay away from, uh but yeah um but the atmosphere for the TV shows is is pretty unlike anything I've ever witnessed. To Mike, just you're able to, I was able to kind of maneuver around the show. I I wasn't stuck there, so like there was, you know literally for one night, uh, I think it was the the first night, I believe that was the Tuesday night. Uh, there was a literally a four hour show where they had a two hour one show and then two hour, another match. So two matches, four hours. And I wasn't stuck in the same seat. Like I started in the stands and then I kind of maneuvered my way and there's a bar right behind, uh, the, the, the show, uh, pairs. So I'm able to like, kind of just get to the pair and, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. I get to the bar when I was in the kind of middle and just kind of hang out, and uh, it gives the crowd, man, it gives the people a, a more intimate uh, like react or I would say reaction, but it gives them more intimate like one on ones with a lot of the pros because a lot of the pros were back there uh, and were kind of just hanging out and they were having a drink or two. The ones that were in bowling, especially, were having you know a couple drinks and just. You know, chatting with a lot of the fans with each other. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a, um I believe like a super really good chef too, Charlie has at the bowling alley. So if you want to get like you know, some bar food, you're able to do that. Uh so overall, man, what a great experience, great atmosphere. And uh, you know, I, I really, really, really enjoyed myself. I really did. I was there for excuse me, I was there for about four days, so
1: Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk more about the bowling center. What, uh, you know, you mentioned the rooftop deck, obviously I'm sure people have seen like some pictures or shots on TV of that, but uh, what else about the bowling center impressed you? Like one of the things that struck me, Rob, is how there's such a difference between the old side of the bowling center versus the new side of the bowling center.
0: Yeah. I was only on the new side of the center for the shows so um I didn't really get to spend a whole lot of time no, the there. Show, the shows were on the old side of the center. So wait, so the really see that's that's how I didn't even I didn't even realize that, honestly, Mike. For some reason yeah, okay. I thought so, Yeah,
1: the 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 where you walk in and where the mezzanine is, that's the new side. The mm-hmm. lower half of the lanes. Lanes like one through eight, I think it might be. Right. And then where they had the shows is the older side of Bayside. Uh Now they've switched back and forth. So like the first couple years, they didn't have the new side. It wasn't even open. It was just the old side. So the first couple years was in that one building. And then when the new side opened, they had the league there. They had the PBA playoffs there, Um, you know, the PBA playoff finals. I think the regular playoffs were in the old building, but uh, this time they decided to bring the league back to the old building because the ceilings are a lot lower in there. I think that it gives a more crowded feel to it, you know, and, and really packs the people in and there's more room in the back, like you said. So, uh, so yeah, it was interesting to see that, that they went back to the old side of the, uh, of the center. But, yeah, such a difference between the old side and the new side. It's uh, really amazing what they did combining them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just a unique facility. Like, that's kind of what, I guess, struck me when I got there. It's just – it's not like you're – Lucky Strike or 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 Bolero or whatever you want to. It's not that feel. It's not like that bougie like nightclub bowling feel. But it's also not your typical like 1980s type bowling center either. Um, I feel like he's done a pretty good job like making it you feel kind of comfortable and homely there. Like and there's some couches in the back there if you want to just kind of like take a nap. I guess you know because a lot of the guys were bowling they were kind of chilling. Um, and I feel like it's just a comfortable atmosphere on top of the rooftop bar, which is, a, I, I believe, the Airbnb that I stayed at had a, a little binder, and it showed all the, like, interesting things to do in Portland, Maine. And Bayside Bowl was like, on top of the list as uh, advertised as uh, only rooftop bar in Portland, Maine. So, uh, you know, people love rooftop bars, especially in the summer when it's nice out. And I can imagine Portland, Maine, when the weather is only good, you know, five months out of the year, a rooftop bar is pretty attractive to a lot of the people in the area. But the, also the other thing I got to mention real quick is uh, the way the banners for the league. Um, he has the banners hung up for the people who win the league every year. And uh, I was talking to Charlie about it actually for a little bit. And I think that's incredible. Like that actually gives a lot of prestige to the league and uh, you know, it make me want to win the league even more and forget the money like of winning the league. Like, I just want my banner, I want my team's name banner up there, you know, especially if I've been bowling the league with the same people and every year and, you know, it's just one of those exciting, like, let's put the banner up when you win, you know, almost like, you know, the NBA teams do or the uh, college basketball teams do when they win a national championship.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the other things that struck me, when I walked in there for the first time is the prominent um, display that. Bayside has to the PBA like when you walk in there's all pictures of the previous years of the league and there's jerseys there and you know there's various um, ways that they display their pride that they're a host center for the PBA and I thought that was really awesome as well you know and that was definitely one of the things that struck me like you said about the balance between how it's not your typical bowling alley but it's not your Um, jazzed up Bolero car uh, inside the bowling alley type of deal, you know? So yeah, uh, definitely any, like we've said before, if anybody gets a chance to go up there, it's definitely worth the trip. You know, they know how to do it. Uh, Rob, what did you think of the crowds? You know, like you had read a lot on social media before you went there. Right. And a lot of people on social media bitching and complaining about the crowds up there and, one of the things they say is, oh, it's all staged, it's all fake. So what what was your feel there? Did you feel like any of the cheers or the stuff that went on was fake or, or was forced? No,
0: zero, it, absolutely not. There was nothing fake about the crowd, uh, zero. The PBA had no like control or any kind of manipulation of what the crowd was doing or saying or how they were dressing. This is completely... One hundred percent on the people at Portland, Maine, that bowl League in that area, and it's just a little good time. These people are just going and having a blast, and that's why it's such a great environment is because it's just a bunch of people having fun, there is no you know like fighting, and there's no you know like too much drinking. Like, you know, it's, yeah, there's, it, there's no
1: pretentiousness to it. You know, no, there's no, no, no to it. Very relaxed. Yeah. And yeah, they do. They know how to have a good time. And, you know, I, it's all the outfits and the signs. I, you know, it's not forced. It's not coerced from, from somebody. It's, uh, no. you know, it's, it's real. It's what they like to do up there. You know, it's very genuine. And, uh, I, I, I would imagine that that comes off, uh, better on TV, I guess, than it does judging from the comments on social media. No, you know, here's the thing is from, I expected it
0: to honestly to be a shit show. Like what, I mean, when it comes to like the drinking and you know, the kids uh, just, you know, partying, like I expected it to be like a, just a a huge shit show, but it really wasn't like, I didn't really see anybody that like had like way too much to drink or was kind of just rowdy Like, it really didn't – it was just people drinking, having fun, and enjoying themselves and and just, like, love to watch and love to be around bowling. Uh, The Pro-Am Monday night, Mike, was amazing uh, to watch, you know, these people just enjoy bowling and talking to the pros. The pros were enjoying themselves too. And, uh, you know, it was competitive, you know. It got to the the final two uh, Baker matches for this Pro-Am and, you know, it got really intense for about 20 minutes when they were bowling that final match. And, you know, it's t- t- definitely a different experience. And here's the thing, Mike, I don't really know if the PBA is going to be able to recreate. And I'm not saying recreate because they didn't create anything. But I think Portland, Maine is, is kind of a special place Which like the people and it's the people that make it the special place. I don't really know how much success there's going to be in to, to like to have another environment like Portland, Maine.
1: Yeah. I'll comment on both of those. So the pro-am is awesome. Uh, to me, the pro-am is the event that I enjoy the most when I go up there to watch the PBA league. Um, the bowlers have an amazing time, you know, they're all very relaxed. It's a very friendly environment uh, the, the league bowlers, it's not a traditional pro-am, right? Like we use the word pro-am, like it's a tr- traditional pro-am and it's not, it's actually where teams from Bayside draft a PBA player and they bowl as a, as a Baker team. And there's a qualifying portion and a finals portion. And like Rob said, they bowl down to two teams who then bowl for the championship in the pro-am and yeah, most of the bowlers hang out for most of the night and hang out with their teams. And there's a lot of, uh, celebration and libations going on. So definitely a great time. Um, But yeah, Rob, I I hear what you're saying. Like it is a certain kind of crowd up there. Right. And they do it their way. Like they like to dress in the outfits and they like to have their chance and, and things of that nature. But don't you think that it's possible to bring the same level of hypeness and the same general environment in, in, in another location. Like, I, let me point out a couple things about the, the way Bayside does things and the way PBA has done the shows there that I think they now need to take to other shows in these other locations going into next year. Look at how close the crowd is to the bowlers, right? You okay. you usually don't see that. You know, you usually don't see the crowd in the settee area, mm. Right. Like, that that's not something that has traditionally been done. But at Bayside, the crowd is down there in the settee area with the bowlers. You know, the crowd interacts with the bowlers, gives them high fives during the match when they come back. Now, I know this is for the team event, but even at the PBA playoffs that I went to, the crowd was in the settee area. You know, we were so close, we could have reached out and touched the bowlers. You know, it was that close. So I definitely think that's one thing they need to do. Uh, I like how Bayside kind of hands out the cups to everybody you know, who wants to walk around the bowling alley. They give out plastic cups you know, of, of some kind of sponsor. I think it was Maine Beer Company that was sponsoring the event again, and they give out cups that have their logo on it. And, yeah, people can walk around with their drinks and drink as they – you, know, you want to walk down, just don't spill, spill your drink. Watch what you're doing. That definitely needs to be something that the PBA incorporates. Like I hope Tom Clark, if they don't already have somebody who can sponsor them for plastic cups, I hope he's ordering like 100,000 plastic cups with the PBA logo on them, you know, for people at these other shows to be able to walk around and have a drink, you know, and enjoy themselves and have some chatter going on in the background. And then when the match gets hype, then the people get hype, you know, and that's kind of what it is. I mean, I I didn't feel like the crowd at Bayside was hype the entire time. I felt like there were points of matches and different matches that the crowd was into it and other points where they were kind of just relaxing and doing their thing and watching.
0: Yeah, I and here's the thing is, is I'm not sure how another city is, you know, can be able to have an atmosphere like that because I just think it's so unique, just the people there and the, you know, the Charlie kind of running it and kind of almost being every like the head coach of it uh, you, you kind of need another proprietor to come in and, and step in and try to uh, you know, help out and try to bring out the people and, and, and bring out, you know, these people that will go and have a good time and drink and, and, and kind of get into it. Uh, I feel no, like
1: that. I, I, I gotta be honest. I, I disagree there. I don't think you need a proprietor. I think that some of that falls on the PBA. Right. Some of that falls on the PBA in identifying how do we reach the the bowlers, the hardcore bowling fans and bowlers in a particular area that we are coming to. Right. Like, how do we reach these people, for instance? Right. Like, uh, you know, you, you're coming to the northeast. You, you can reach out to certain organizations that have uh, many people involved in them who already love and enjoy bowling. Right. And are big fans of bowling. So, like, to me, a lot of it has to do with the promotion. You're right. Ch- Charlie is, the, is the, the driving force behind it. He's the promoter of it. He does a great job at that. But the PBA needs to take his place of what he does in Maine and do, the, do a little bit of that on their own in, in other cities that they're going to go to.
2: Hmm. So,
0: like, almost like Charlie has presented the PBA with almost a, a roadmap of, of how to succeed with these shows and kind of let the PBA take it from there, kind of deal.
1: Yeah. I mean, what, what did he do? Right. And we, we interviewed him. We, we talked to him, right. You're on a first name basis with him, apparently Mr. Big shot over here. So yeah, it's uh, to me, it's, it, it's clear what he did. He just built a base of people who really have a passion for bowling enjoy watching pro bowling they also enjoy partying and drinking you know having a good time however you want to put it and yeah he just provided a place for them to do what they like to do to me that's already going on in bowling alleys across america rob every every league night there's people who are there having a few beers having a good time laughing it up with their friends they might not be doing chance. They might not be listening to some really great 90s hip-hop music while they do it, but they're doing the same thing, right? The PBA needs to find a way to get those people's attention the same way Charlie has got attention up in Maine.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, and the one thing I did talk about a lot while I was there is I feel like Portland, Maine kind of created an identity for the PBA that they haven't had in a really long time, Uh, and I feel like that identity is their is the Portland Maine just environment. Now, I did have a really heated discussion and I feel like this needs to be like on a future podcast of me and you debating because I feel like we have just way too much tonight to talk about it, but talking about if a Portland Maine atmosphere would work on a US Open or USBC Masters type show. So, I'm just, you know, I actually had a very heated argument and discussion with a couple of the top tier pros, uh, one night at the bar. And we really kind of got into that, um, because, you know, obviously the bowling traditionalist in me, uh, which is a, is a small part of it. Cause I love the Portland Maine uh, atmosphere. Uh, but I feel like the traditional list doesn't feel like it it would work. Uh, but you know, that's for, I think for a debate for another
1: time, Mike, honestly, yeah no, I feel you. It's a little bit much to get into tonight, but I just want to make this point. I don't think the whole environment would work if you took the same environment and put it in there, but I do think that parts of it would work, right like it doesn't always have to be so uppity and stuffy. right, right. It doesn't have to be sure. uh you know, officials in the first row, followed by bowling alley, important people, VIPs in the second row it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it really doesn't like let, let the people, let the fans do, do what they want, right. Let them kind of do their own thing instead of trying to set it up in a certain way that is so traditional, but you're right to debate for a later time. We have a lot to get. To, we have a lot to get to tonight, Rob. We have a lot for the people marathon style is how we do it around here. Sometimes on we'll sweep the rack. So we have a lot to get to for the people tonight. Uh, So, Rob, we haven't even talked about the event that you went up there for to watch, and that was PBA League. Three straight nights of shows, live shows. I mean, it was like bowling heaven this week, Rob, honestly.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it was crazy just being there, too, to watch. Uh, I watched two of the days of the shows and ended up getting uh, not being able to watch the final day, but. I mean it was it was enjoyable to be there as a fan, just as a bowling fan, you know, not just media, Mike, as a fan, just to go and just enjoy bowling competitively and you know, watch these guys, you know, bowl and try to win a a, a, a pretty big tournament. So it was fun, man. I really enjoyed it. I did.
1: Yeah, so let's uh let's recap the action a little bit, I guess, yes? because you watch the shows live, I obviously watch the shows on TV. Uh our boy Jimmy from the Ring and 10 was on fire during these shows, Rob. He was <laughs> he was sending out he was sending out gifts and memes like one every every other minute. It was crazy. It was <laughs> uh it was definitely enjoyable. So, yeah, let's uh let's recap the action and uh and, and get the highlights, I guess, no? Sure, yeah. Uh
0: I mean, there's only a few I, I remember. Not saying so I was first, drinking. The first that.
1: thing I'd like to talk about is, is you know, just starting from the beginning, I guess, is the fact that Sean Maldonado got hurt. Mm. Okay. Because that yep. was the first interesting thing that happened to me throughout the week of this event. So mm. apparently he got hurt uh playing football at the junior gold event. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I need- okay. <laughs> mean gonna- Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, he got hurt at the Junior Gold event. Was came out to Maine, tried to bowl, wasn't able to bowl. So during the qualifying, Rob, they gave them nine spare, nine spare mm. for the two for the two places. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, I thought that was pretty fair, honestly, because the scores were seemed pretty high. So, uh, you know, they were bowling the that. Mal, I mean, Maldonado's team was bowling pretty. Uh, that's a pretty big hand. That's a pretty hand. That's a pretty big handicap to lose
1: uh, when you're bowling against these type of bowlers on an easier condition. Man, nine spare, nine spare though. That seemed kind of generous to me. Generous, beyond. Yeah. No, yeah, I thought so. No. nine no, spare, nine man. spare for for not having somebody in the lineup.
0: Yeah, on a shot that was kind of easy with some of the best pros in the world. No. <laughs> yeah, you but, got but hold on, to the best pros in the world.
1: Say you're bowling a match against them, right? And you get to a new pair, and your lead-off bowler throws shot, goes high, and leaves a split. And now they have nine spare versus your split. Is that I? I don't know. Is that really fair? I mean, I would have thought yeah. there would be something in there to say can't be higher than the first frame of the opposing team's player. You know, no, something like that. Got, I mean, but then you really think about it, and like, okay,
0: yeah, they get nine spare in the first frame, but then you got the anchor, and whoever the anchor is you know and the anchor goes up and you strikes in the fifth shot now you're you're following the anchor with a nine spare so you know what they might get a little bit of a, a, a it might be generous in the first frame but it's really negative in the sixth
1: frame true true i can i can understand that uh i can understand that point for sure so they they fly in Jake Peters mm. right Jake Peters gets the call while he's out at uh junior gold and he flies in and <laughs> Rob, I don't <laughs> want to be me, but like there, yeah. there may, there may never be a more meaningless flight to go bowl than Jake Peters had. No.
0: Yeah. I'm not going to say any names, but I had one pro come over to me and tell me that, uh, that they would rather have me bowl those four frames. Um, <laughs> I, I thought to thought, myself,
1: I definitely could have got at least one mark. I would imagine, I Mike, mean,
0: man, Mike, that's, Mike,
1: that's rough. I, that's I, rough, I, honestly. I feel I'd for fifty percent, like totally
0: feel for. Him. I would have been fifty percent, no doubt. I would, I, I went to hold four times, but you know what, like, that's that's tough to ask somebody. I mean, who knows? Maybe Jake Peters hasn't thrown a shot in like a month. You know, you know, I mean, you don't know what he flew in. You know, they flew him in last minute. Who knows what kind of balls he had with him. You know, he could have had one ball. I'm just saying you didn't know like the the story behind Jake uh in in his in his challenge that he had, uh, getting a last minute call like that. But
1: yeah, that was a that was rough. Uh, it was that was rough to watch. Yeah. So I I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I thought by far the best night of shows was the second night with that had the semifinals, the two matchups. Did did you think that that, that was the best? show or no
0: yeah that match with uh bill and norm's
1: team was the
0: best match by far uh that was with that roll off that was that crazy roll off that went to tommy when he 210 to lose and then uh, yeah, troop so, up in stone
1: yeah so let so you know let's talk about that um the comp you know obviously a team started on the first night with shows and there were four hours worth of shows on that night from 7 to 11 p.m. Awesome. I mean, you know, if you're a bowling fan, four hours of live bowling in primetime TV, what more can you ask for, right, especially with the hypeness around it and the league format, etc. So, but, you know, honestly, the four hours, I didn't really find it all that exciting. You know, there were some highlights and some decent matches. Um, But the the next night where the semifinals, where you had uh, uh, the Dallas Strikers against the Portland Lumberjacks, and you had uh the LAX against uh who did they bowl on that night? And you uh they bowled the Kingpins, okay. So those two matches, both both pretty good matches. Uh the LAX actually swept the Kingpins, two oh. Uh hmm. but it was 225 so yeah, two twenty five to two thirteen and two twenty four to two twenty one. So two really know. good games, really close games. Um you know, some, some really poor shot making, I would say by the Kingpins uh, later in those games kind of cost them uh, that match. But yeah, the LAX was able to come out on top through that show. Rob Stu Williams had not missed literally had not had, I think he threw eight shots in the shows and he was eight for eight.
2: Hmm. Oh
1: yeah. I mean, he had great, he had a great look. He, there was no doubt about it. he, he he
0: was in his wheelhouse, you know, and uh, Mike, you really want to get me started on the uh, the LAX because I was uh, not a very happy person in the crowd there. Why, Zach? Get ahead, Rob. All right. Oh uh, well, uh, Dicky Allen in the anchor spot. I get why they start him in the anchor spot. I completely understand that, you know, or he's been known. What is his nickname? They call him like the Baron of Bayside, Uh, you know, has really a lot of success in the history of of that event and center of bowling. Great. Uh, You know, Belmonte and Stu, not so much having a lot of success in that bowling center. So I understand why you put him in the anchor spot from the get go. There has to come a time when Andrew Kane, how to take Dickie Allen out of that anchor spot. You have Jason Belmonte, who's one of the best bowlers, if not the greatest bowler of all time in his prime bowling on your team, Stu Williams, who just came off an amazing tournament at Lubbock. And they're bowling in the, they're not even in the anchor spot. You got Dickie Allen, who's obviously struggling. He's throwing some urethane hybrid up 10 did not look comfortable did not look like he was coming the ball was coming off his hand the right way and just lucky getting nines throwing it, but you keep him in the anchor spot through the whole match at you know on day two and then they even put him in the anchor spot on on the final day and then when he finally leaves the first ten pin and then he misses it Andrew finally they pull the trigger and they pull him out of the anchor spot now I'm not saying that helped that would have You know, if they would have pulled him out early, if that would have helped him win or or helped the LAX win. But I just feel like it it just, they needed to change that lineup a lot quicker. And they didn't because they were winning. But then you got someone like Timmy Mack with the Portland Lumberjacks, who's changing lineups because they're moving lanes and they feel like one person has a better look on the other. You know, I think Mike. I think they changed the lineup in the last uh, game that they won the, the championship, and they were up already. And they interviewed Timmy in the show, and they were like, "Timmy, like, why did you change the lineup?" He's like, "Because, you know, um, you know, so forth. He's got a better look than him on this lane, and we feel like that's going to be the better look." To me, that's how you make, uh, you know, you manage and how you like use your your your, your strengths and, and, and to your advantage. And I feel like the LAX just—you have the strength, you have the man. Mike, you have the man bowling on your team, and you, you're going to wait until the final two games to pull Belmonte into the, into the anchor spot. I just didn't agree with it, and I got pissed in the crowd, and I actually walked I walked off the crowd early, and I went to the back and you know, sat with Josh Blanchard and a few other pros and was just a little frustrated about it.
1: Man, Rob was so pissed off. He had to leave the show. He had to walk out of the stadium. He was that angry. I did. I did. Yeah, but so, so so first of all, I think Timmy Mack's a bad example of a manager to compare Andrew Kane to because out of all the managers, Timmy Mack is probably the number one guy that the bowlers would be receptive to listening to what he has to say. Because he's one of you know, he's known as one of the best ball reps or part of one of the best ball rep teams in bowling. Okay. Would you agree with that?
0: I mean, if you're the manager, you should you should have the respect of your team. So you saying that Andrew Kane, no, so everything saying bullshit.
1: Yeah, Andrew Kane ain't running that team. Come on. So we, you think that we, we all know who's running that team, Rob? You think we all so, know? We, so you think that uh, what, that what ball what ball were all three Storm guys on that team throwing uh, the first night?
0: They were throwing that um the promotion
1: that Belmo ball, the new Belmo ball. Okay, you know,
0: you think that's coincidence? I mean, no, I don't. I think that. I mean, Stu didn't miss with it. You even said it. So why wouldn't? Yeah, you and the other two
1: guys it? didn't strike with it.
0: You're yeah, but right. They didn't,
1: they didn't, didn't strike it. with any I other ball. You go though. back and you watch that show. Out of all the guys on that show who used that ball, I think Stu might have been the only one who struck with it. You know, I, when I saw that, I clearly thought, yeah, clearly, like you know, he 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 wants to you know, promote this. It's his team. He's kind of running things. This is the way it's going to be. I really believe that he's the one calling the shots on that team. Yeah. So I don't believe that. So I'm going to,
0: I'm going to, I'm I'm going to bite here. I'm going to bite. So why wouldn't then Belmo want to anchor on that team? He just didn't, he didn't feel like he had a a good look and uh, like it could, to me, Belmo, he did throw a bunch of strikes. I don't know what the numbers are, but he, he threw some strikes. Yeah. He, he had some carry problems, but I mean, Richie Allen was lost. I mean, he, he, he had no reaction. And then when he did hit the pocket, he didn't strike. So why not put Stu in the anchor
1: spot then? If uh, What's your well, reasoning? Well, as you and I know, at, these guys are super high level bowlers, right? And they know that so much goes into why one bowler might be more successful than another, with all factors being equal, right? So if you take two bowlers who both repeat at the same level, kind of throw it the same way, same level of accuracy, et cetera, why is one going to strike more than the other? These guys think about that, right? They kind of have that figured out, especially when it comes to bowling center to bowling center. And like you said, Dick Allen does traditionally – have a great look in that center. He's won several tournaments in that center. He's been the league MVP twice, I believe. So, yeah, like, I understand the decision that they they made. I understand why Belmo wouldn't put himself in the anchor spot because at their level, he feels like a guy who is at his level or almost at his level that also has a really good look in the place that they're bowling in is likely to strike more than he is.
0: Hmm. Uh, I mean, I get it, but... I just don't get it,
1: uh, and I don't care. There's
0: nobody, and I told the people that I spoke with about this at, there when I was there. There's nobody that's going to convince me otherwise. Look, if I have Michael oh, Jordan, I, do you
1: do you think that that somebody like Belmo? Do you think that he gives the same level of attention to the PBA league that he does to a major? Come no, on, Roddy. no, of course not. But sure. so like, no. to him it's like whatever. You know, I, I don't even think it's that much of a big deal of of saying like, no, well, this is my team or I'm gonna an anchor because we're, you know, going for the win, whatever it might be. You know, I just don't think that that same level of of absolute focus is there. No, I don't agree with that
0: because there was money on the line and it was a decent amount of money for winning. And on top of that, dude, these guys fly there. And they spend a lot of time and travel and money to go to these tournaments. When they're there, they want to win. Now I'm not saying that they, they're winning and their focus is the same as a major, but I'm saying is when they're there, they want to win. They're not there just to kind of go through the motions. And even someone like a Belmonte or a Norm Duke, if you watch them during the show, like they the focus intensity was there. They wanted to win. And especially when you're on a team like you want to win for your team, you want to win for the guys that bowl with you. So the team kind of definitely, you know, you don't want to be the goat. You don't want to. I mean, the goat, like the the bad goat. You don't want to be the guy that, you know, is is just there because he's there to get a paycheck. I I, I disagree with that. I, I kind of feel like the the reason why that they didn't pull him out earlier is because of the history, like you said, of of Richie being successful at Bayside, but. Mike, if I have Michael Jordan on my team and I need someone to take I'm that saying, last shot, Rob, I don't care. It's so
1: dumb. Rob, it's so dumb that it can't be that simple. Come on, man. The guy like really, really, yeah. like the guy is that good. Really? And he's not gonna be anchoring your team. Please, come on. No. Like I don't I don't care about the other factors. To me, that's just like a, a bullshit thing that they would say just to explain why it's not that case. You know, Rob, come on. If he want you know, whatever. I, I hear you. I'm not saying that they're there just to go through the motions. I don't put, you know, I, I didn't say that. What I said is that there's not the same level of focus that there is at some other bigger events, even if you want to go outside the majors. You know, There's not the same level of focus that there is at, the, at some of these other events. I think that some of the players have that same level of focus. I think some of the players have an even greater level of focus than they might at some of these other events that they go to. And the reason for that is because they're nervous or it's their first time or they want to get picked again next year, whatever it may be. But I do believe that some of the the, the, the more seasoned guys there you know, while they're there to put on a show, there's no question, Rob. They're there to perform. These guys are professional athletes. They're there to put on a show and perform. But at the same time, I really can tell that there's quite a few of them that just don't have the same level of focus that they would at a, at a bigger tier event.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I could argue that point for for years. So I'll I'll, I'll let you have the last uh, the last stay there, Mike.
1: Rob, if Michael Jordan, if it was the last thirty seconds of the game and Phil Jackson said to Michael Jordan, Hey, you're not gonna get the ball here, what would Michael Jordan have said to Phil Jackson? You know, he would have told him, Yo, Phil, chill out, dog. Give me the ball. Okay?
2: Right. So, Give me the so, rock. So.
1: Please, don't let's yeah. not sit here and pretend like like, you know, that somebody else is is calling the shots. We all know that in a team atmosphere the best player on the team has the most say. And and in a lot of cases, they have even more say than the coach, right? Now, the example of Timmy Mack, that's why I said I think it's a bad example because he's a guy who these players are going to be receptive to. You know, they're going to really listen to what he has to say because he's thinking at the same level that they are for the most part. You know, he helps them think at that level most of the time. So I think that that might be one of the examples that's outside the box. But yeah, you know, I think that clearly if you're the best player on the team, you have a greater level of say almost across the board. And I don't think that the PBA league is any exception to that.
0: Okay. Well, I'm kind of to the point where like, I don't think, yeah, there was something going on there more than I guess we know about, obviously. Uh, And I, you know, I spoke to Andrew, too, after the show and asked him about it, honestly. So I, I do, you know, understand his point when he kind of had the same point of just the history of the of the event and, and Richie's success and they were winning. And, uh, you know, look, like as someone who's, you know, in the media role now and has to ask these tough, hard hitting questions, Mike, you know, my whole thing was. I don't really care if you guys win, but if a head coach makes a questionable decision during the game, then the media has every right to ask the the head coach about why they made that decision. And, you know, I I told him, I was like, look, Drew, man, why in the hell wouldn't you get him out of there and put Belmo or Stu into the anchor spot? You know, well, I don't want to ruin the dynamic of the team that the, 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 the coaching or the the team atmosphere. We're used to this lineup.
1: How can, how can, Taking the best bowler, perhaps ever, and the best bowler on the planet right now, and putting him in your tenth spot, cha- negatively impact the dynamic. Come on, that's nonsense. That's just that's just nonsense. All right, we got to leave it at that. We right, gotta gotta it. In. So okay. in that in the champ, so in on the other side of that match, right, Rob? You had yeah. the Strikers against the Portland Lumberjacks, and like you said, the, I agree with you. That was the best match on all the shows. Yeah
0: that was going to oh, yeah. be
1: the best match yeah definitely yeah overtime right triple overtime okay lopsided the first two games very different than the other match uh, like we said the other match although the LAX won 2-0 both games were tight and in contention throughout the whole game uh, the match between the strikers and the lumberjacks it, it was kind of lops a little bit lopsided the first the first game the first two games 226-213, I don't really think that the score indicates uh, how close that match was. And 201-249, the second game for the for the Strikers. Um, so, yeah, really lopsided there. And then, Rob, Bill gets picked to go first. He throws a strike. Uh, on the other end, I believe it was Wes Milot who got up first no. and struck. No. Then it yeah, was Duke he... for the Strikers, and Duke mm-hmm. struck. Then it Coming was out. Ryan – for the strikers Mm -hmm. and and he struck and then tommy got up and yeah just uh unfortunately i I don't really feel like threw that great of a shot and didn't execute it real well looked like it was right to me a little bit quick to me and uh yeah 210 for the for the eight count and uh kyle troop was able to get up and ring a 10 for the win which set up a final between the portland lumberjacks and the lax And uh, Rob, in that final, I just felt like the LAX just lost their ability to strike, man. I feel like that's
0: really what it was. And what really stuck, um, kind of stuck out to me was when they interviewed Belmo during the final show. And Belmo said it, man. He's like, our ball is just going a little bit too long and we just can't get the ball to, to face up earlier. And He also said, uh, I I believe that they were – or maybe it was Stu or one of them said that they were trying to cover too many boards. And I feel like if you look at Portland's team, I feel like they were playing a lot more up the lane than, you know – sorry, I lost my train. I thought then LAX was.
1: Like Chris Chris Prather, Chris Prather was the one person on Portland – who was playing them similarly to a lot of the guys on the LAX. And he couldn't carry either. He couldn't knock down 10 either.
0: Yeah. And then you look at someone like Wes Malott, who was able to play right of everybody and Kyle Troop, who's able to throw it a lot harder than everybody. And, uh, you know, and Simonelli who just, you know, absolutely bombed them. (laughs) I mean, the guy, Simonelli didn't miss and Wes Malott didn't miss. I felt like it was just a, a tale of like one, Team that was playing them differently and able to strike and get the ball to face up, the pins the right way, and then LAX just struggled. They were just they were in Ninesville, bro, and that's not a, a fun a fun city to visit.
1: Yeah, so it was two matches, right? They were bowling back to back matches, where each both matches were the same format as it was throughout the whole event, where one team had to win two games or would go to a, a roll off, and then. They then there was a possible another roll off if they split the matches one one it was going to come down to a roll off again, but uh, as it turned out, Portland all four games Rob four game sweep two twenty eight two oh six two fourteen one eighty eight two twenty one one ninety seven two forty seven two oh eight that's what I'm saying none of them were even really that much in question you know LAX just could never get it going you know they just could never get anything going for the most part. Yeah, it was tough,
0: tough for LAX. You know, they, after the match, the previous with the strikers, and then they come out and do that at the finals, you know, it was frustrating for all of them. And you could just see it in all their faces. It was just like, it wasn't their night. They kind of just knew it.
1: Yeah. So the Portland Lumberjacks, the hometown team bring home their first uh, PBA league Elias cup. And, and Rob, it was quite a scene, uh, <laughs> After they won, you know that all the all the fans rushed the approach, and they had some champagne in the Elias Cup. They were pouring it on each other. I mean, it was it was awesome. I loved it. I thought it was great.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you, and what you didn't see was all the riots that were going on in Portland. You know, people turning over cars. I even saw a stop sign get toppled over too. They were jumping on the. No, I'm just kidding, dude. They're.
1: Did they, did they grease the poles like they do in Philly when the Philly sports team are going to yeah. win something big and people don't yeah. climb the light poles? Yeah, I saw
0: a guy jumping from the freaking rooftop of one of the bars under the people and,
1: you know, just a lot of crazy riots going on. You know, the police had their hands full of those those bowling riots, you know. And listen, I'm going to I'm gonna disprove one of your points from earlier in our argument because I, I love to argue. So whenever I get a chance to disprove something that somebody said – you said that there was a lot of money on the line, Rob. Well, Rob, the difference in this match was only $10,000 between five guys. That's 2000 a man if they're not including the manager. Mm-hmm. So, come on, come on. You're telling me that levels of focus aren't possibly going to be lower for that, for that kind of sum of money, especially to some of these players? See, I –
0: Hey, I'll be the first to admit when I'm wrong. I thought it was ten thousand a person, so that's no, kind of where no. I was ten thousand for 60, the whole 000. team.
1: Fifty thousand for the
2: fifty thousand
1: for the LAX for coming in second.
0: I mean, you get to that point though, you want to win. I don't, I don't. I mean, the focus is, to me, you're bowling on TV, you know, in front of everybody on live shows. I, I really think the focus is going to be there just as much it would be as a major, maybe not so much, but I feel like it, you know, look, you're bowling on TV in front of everybody. Your sponsors are watching, you know, people are watching, everybody's watching. And you're telling me that you're just going to just kind of mail it in and just not mail it in, but just
1: not no, take it. Seriously, you're going to put on a good show. You're going to put on a good show. You're going to be professional and you're going to use it, you know, in any way to your advantage that you can for you and your sponsors. Right. Wink, sure. wink, nod nod okay uh, but yeah i'm not saying that uh i'm not saying that you you're, you're going to be 110% into it you know and i honest, honestly rob i think you underestimate how much uh you know prize money means to these guys you know we we've talked to some of them before that have said you know hey the, the most important thing is who wins the most money that's what we're out here for you know we're doing this for a living so, I think you kind of underestimate that and overestimate uh, how much some of these guys care about, um, you know, winning for a, a, a fictional team, you know, which we'll get into in a few minutes, no?
0: Yeah, I mean, fictional, but
1: I, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, no, I get it. Like, it's still, like, I don't feel like. Okay, but it wasn't I, a lot of yourself. money. Let's be clear. Yeah, I get, that, I get... Okay, all right. It wasn't a lot of money, though. So, okay. that, that that is not a good argument in okay. terms of you know the level of oh. focus okay all, all right. right i appreciate, I appreciate you Mike. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: we'll move on we'll move on now so okay. rob they were great shows kudos to the pba kudos to bayside kudos to fox right yeah. all those people. mad props involved for all of them I, I i really can't say that many negative things about the shows i mean I don't know what the building looked like the first night or two. I'll be honest. I thought the crowds were a little bit light the first two nights, Mm. especially for Bayside. I'm used to it being jam packed there. Like you can't even see the walls of the place because there's so many people in the crowd. I really didn't get that vibe on the Tuesday night show. I didn't really get that vibe so much on the Wednesday night show, but on the Thursday night show, man, Bayside brought the fire on the Thursday night show because it was packed and it was jumping And, yeah, it was – they definitely brought it a level up for that final. But uh, definitely kudos to to everybody involved in in the shows in general. Um, Rob, thoughts uh, about the league in general now that they've wrapped up this season?
0: Uh, I feel like it was pretty successful just overall, like, entertainment-wise, like, when it comes to the fans. And I feel like there's still a lot of work on the PBA side that needs to be done – uh i do love the shows i love the atmosphere i love the league concept. i feel like they're yeah, on the track.
2: Right.
1: a couple more things from the shows rob kyle trooping the eggplant socks what's he trying to say rob <laughs> what's he trying to say is yeah, he slanging around like that kyle you slanging it around like that you're wearing eggplant socks dog come come and talk to us again i know we did the episode on itunes it's still out there but come and talk to us again man we need to need to hear how you're sampling the local flavors my dude <laughs> we need to hear this. Come on, come and talk to us, son. And, Rob, wh- what what the fuck is A.J. Johnson doing, dog? Yo, that he's was insane. He's got a, a Blackhawks suit on with nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. He's, he's pale as shit. He looks <laughs> like he hasn't gotten out of the bowling alley in, like, you know, quite some time. He's got sunglasses on the whole show. I'm like, is that A.J. Johnson or is it not? Is that A.J.? And then they take a close up of him. I'm like, it is. He's just hanging out with the regulars. Rob, got to be something going on there too. AJ, call us up, man. Call us up. We yeah. want to hear about you know your experiences what, with the with the local uh, with the local menu up in Portland. Rob, comment. What, let the kid have some fun, man. He's a young
0: dude. You know, he sees all the people out there having fun, and you know, he's not bowling. He's
1: done. Like, let him have some fun, man. I love it, man. Man, I, I was they, they, job, they flashed to Andrew Anderson in the crowd, and he's he's just standing there in the crowd randomly at the final. He's got a pretty good-looking girl next to him. I mean, guys, hit us up, man. We want to hear these stories. Come on. <laughs> no, we've got a lot I, of them man. <laughs> I mean, AJ looked like he was feeling no pain. I mean, damn. Just to come <laughs> out in that suit alone, he had to have a couple a, a couple stiff drinks in him just to come out oh, in that yeah. suit alone. Oh yeah. Good for him. Yeah, they were having a good time. Everybody was having a good time up there, Rob, for sure. So, yeah, Rob, missing spares, it's like commonplace now. Thoughts? I just feel like it's a little bit of losing focus.
0: A lot of it's mental when you're shooting spares. It's like shooting free throws. You know, and I feel like maybe just maybe the pros aren't practicing them as much as, you know, they used to do it back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I don't know, really, but that, to me, the two – the two factors of spare shooting is just losing focus and in me- a mental game like collapse and also just not shooting them enough and not, not making, not making them enough your priority when you practice or prepare to bowl a tournament.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. But yeah, just, uh, you know, something that I noticed. So Rob, we love the PBA league, right? You love it. I love it. We've both gone up there. Now we've seen it live, you know, we're, we're big fans of it, but yeah, there's, there's some things that need to be tightened up. So where, where do you want to go? What do you want to talk about first?
0: I feel like you kind of brought up a little bit in like the last like 20 minutes, it's just the cities with the, the teams and the cities. Uh, I feel like the only really team that has any kind of relationship with their city is the Portland team for obvious reasons. Uh, I don't feel like anybody else has any kind of like relationships with any of the local teams that they're sponsoring. Like where was, I don't know. Dallas strikers is a good example, right? Like, is there anybody from Dallas that was there like rooting them on or I don't know. Like, i I feel like the PBA needs to try to, build relationships with the home teams and the cities that they're representing.
1: I would like to see them get rid of the cities. I would like yep. to see the teams have no affiliation with any city. I don't really think you need a city. I think that you could just call them the lumberjacks, the Hitmen, the strikers, the styles, you know, you just use the name. You don't, you don't need a, a city, you know, they started out, the league rob where they had these owners right or or the founders of the teams and those people have kind of fell by the wayside and are not really involved with it all that much anymore so yeah i really just the, the the cities were connected to the owners or the founders of the teams and now they're not really involved anymore so there's really no connection to the cities with the bowlers so i definitely think that you know that would be a major step in the right direction i agree with you that perhaps Portland should be the only city that gets a distinction in the league, like I think that would be a cool distinction for portland and and, and for Bayside, you know, or even if they made it the Bayside lumberjacks uh, because uh, you know they they deserve that distinction for being such a part of the rise of this PBA league, but yeah, I would definitely like to see that change uh, it's going to expand next year, Rob, so there's going to be more teams, Rob, I would love to see. Tom Clark be able to bring in some teams from outside organizations at from outside the PBA. Like I want to see, uh, yeah, I want to see some amateur teams compete in this in some way. I want to see some league bowlers get put on a team and compete in this in some way. I want to see, uh, yeah, I, I want to see maybe UBA teams come in and bowl the PBA league at times or have matchups with the PBA teams. Uh, Rob, I, I know this might be an unpopular opinion, even with you perhaps. I might strike court here. I think they need to get rid of the managers completely. I think that the managers need to go, and I think that all the teams should be managed by a player manager. And quite frankly, Rob, I think that the way they should do that is by making however many teams they're going to have from the PBA. This year it was eight. Next year it'll be, what, 10, I think, or 12.
2: Mm -hmm. They should
1: have the top eight players. The top eight players should be from maybe the last two years or even the last three years in points or earnings. They should be the player captain of whatever team they're on, and they should be the ones in charge of retaining the players, keeping the players, trading the players, getting rid of the players, whatever it is, drafting the players. I think that would be a huge step in the right direction. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Um, you know, the managers, I, I could, I, I get that point. It's not going to really strike that much of a core with me. I get why I, I couldn't, a lot of my pet peeve of the shows was when they would interview the managers. There wasn't really anything that added any value <laughs> when they were interviewing these pros. It was like, Oh, well, we just have to do a better job of making shots and, you know, the team that scores the most points is going to win the game. You know, just one of those right. just boring. Like, what I would like to see the PBA do is not get rid of the managers, but how about you run some kind of, I don't know, contests or PBA fan experience where maybe you have a fan celebrity manage the teams, you know, or you run some kind of contest or you, you have yeah, them. Yeah, but
1: still, I mean. You, yes, you know I, I agree with 100%. Agreed. Agree. That's a great idea. Feel free to steal that from us, Tom. No problem, okay? But, uh, yeah, I, I just think that still what you're saying, Rob, is they don't need the managers, right? If you're going to put a fan in the place of a manager, they're surely not going to be making the decisions. So you're still going to need a player slash manager,
2: right? Well, I mean,
0: Mike, it adds value if you have – Jerome Bettis coaching a team if you have a Chris Paul or a celebrity or someone that's going to bring in fans to watch uh, and some kind of intrigue as the managers like I I could see
2: them. if if If
1: you're going to do that though hold on if you're going to do that then you need eight people or next year you need 10 or 12 people whatever it may be come on Rob they're not going to get eight or 10 or 12 well-known enough celebrities that it's going to make a difference to come in to Portland, Maine for three days, possibly. And yeah, with that. I'm, I mean, just, not you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you're much better off going down the road of using it as a promotion. You know, oh, you man, use it, promote, promote it in right. some way. May, maybe there's some business owner who's a, a PBA fan who wants to pay, you know, $10,000 to be the manager of LAX. Who knows? You know, I'm sure there's got to be some of those people out there, you know, investigate yeah, I've
2: that. I'd rather,
0: yeah. You know, instead of going that route and, and trying to go the corporate sponsorship way, I think their PBA is better off with like, you know, I, how I would do it if I was a PBA marketing, I would say, okay, who's the biggest PBA fan out there? Send us your videos. Tell us why you're the biggest fan and why you support the PBA. And then we'll pick eight or 10 fans to come and manage or celebrity manage the teams during the event, or even if it's just a one day manager doing one of the shows, I feel like the PBA would probably, you know, have a lot of videos uh, and it would be a, a successful thing where, you know, maybe you have a kid who loves the PBA or, or you bring in a, you know, a super fan, I don't know, whatever it is. I just feel like the PBA would, could, could definitely use it that way instead of, you know, having, the, the way it's going now, where the managers are kind of—you just not really sure. I guess your point is, Mike, you're not really sure what they're actually really doing, right? Is that kind of what you're?
2: What yeah, you're I mean, at? I'm
1: not—I'm not hating on them in any way. I'm not like—I. It has nothing to do with them. It's just like you said. I, I think that the PBA could use a, a better way to um, use that spot if that's what they want to do, or they decide that's where it's going to go. You know, if you're going to have that extra person down there in the set area with the teams, then then, you know, find something a little bit more interesting to do with it rather than just uh, than just have a manager, you know, who really, in my opinion, in, in some instances, uh, you know, really does isn't having that much impact on the match anyway. I actually feel like are they ba- they're baseball managers, right? Like baseball managers they're they they make a lot of input and there's some decisions they've input in but they're really not a lot of people say impacting the outcome of the game right so that's that's kind of the way i look at it but so we'll see rob we'll see what changes the pba league has in store but uh we know they'll be back in uh we know that we know that they'll be back in portland maine next year and we're confident that sweep the rack will be up there to to uh do some coverage next year together, no? Yeah, we'll do our best. Um, Always looking forward to go back to Maine now, especially, you know, to
0: Bayside and to eat some of those lobster rolls, Mike, which were fantastic.
1: So, Rob, as we discussed, uh, Portland Lumberjacks, winners of the PBA League. So, you know, who do we have to go out and get for the people this week, man?
0: We got to get somebody from the Portland
1: Lumberjacks, right? Yeah, and who better than one of the players that has been there basically uh, from the beginning and uh, has put a lot of work in with that team to to get to this position where they earned their first PBA Elias Cup? Uh, so yeah, we're gonna welcome on uh, Ryan Simonelli tonight, uh, P- six-time PBA titleist, uh, one major title. He won the 2015 U.S. Open. Uh, we all remember that one when he ran him over and just added pba elias cup champion to his resume rye what's up man how are you feeling
3: yeah what's up guys yeah feels good now
1: are you still recovering from the celebration of the win
3: as a matter of fact yes um i know there's a ton of people and the late nights that i wasn't used to because i've been going to sleep at like eight o'clock with my son because he don't like to sleep, so I sleep when he sleeps. And those shows aired pretty late, past all of our bedtimes. And uh, so we were struggling a little bit, And all the people and everything. Um, I caught a little something, just getting over it now. Uh, I don't know if it's just a science infection or what, but apologies. My voice is a little weird, but um, I'm feeling pretty good now and uh, finally getting back on our feet.
1: Damn, Rob, he said he partied till he got sick.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, that's that's the best, man. Portland, Maine, Portland Lumberjacks, you win the Elias Cup. I mean, yo, you had to be out late partying, no? Yo,
3: know, I had three of my boys come in from Buffalo. I hadn't seen them since I moved. Um, they came in, perfect timing for something like that to happen. Um, my wife and my son come up with me, first time that they were in Portland, Maine, and uh, had to show them some of the things that I had saw. Um, the previous years, uh, like for example, Charlie Mitchell took us to Salvage Barbecue. Shout out to them. Uh, we went there twice last week. Um, they are clutch. So for food, we went there. Um, we were hitting the rooftop for some drinks. Um, I ain't gonna lie, it's Portland, man. I was. I had a few drinks before the shows. I was feeling a little loose. Um, you know, we, we're we're with the people and. And we're we're just having a good time, and and in Portland, that's just what it's about. And when you're feeling that loose, man, with that crowd behind us, uh, it felt like nothing could go wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, we're, we'll we'll ask you about that in a second. I want to clarify though, you know, in no way, shape, or form do I believe that Kyle Troop was going to bed early any night up in Portland, especially flashing the eggplant <laughs> sock. I think we all know how he was getting his <laughs> celebration on. And you know there may or may not rob. There may or may not be information out there that uh, he partied so hard that he missed his flight the next morning and was getting paged in the airport.
2: Mm,
0: that's that's <laughs> definitely uh, definitely a true story though, Mike. Uh, I was in in the terminal next next to uh, 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 Kyle's air, airplane, and was, we were sitting there, and all of a sudden we hear paging Kyle Troop.
3: Kyle,
1: true. Like uh, seven
3: times, Uh, I he he conveniently left that out. (laughs) I've been talking to him every day since, and he has not mentioned that to me.
0: Yeah, we we, I Instagrammed, man. I Instagrammed it, and I'm like, I don't think Kyle's making a 6 a.m. flight this morning. (laughs) Oh,
3: that's too funny, man.
1: Yeah, no doubt, absolutely.
3: Yeah, no, we Uh, we definitely stayed. We hung out. We had some drinks with the with the people. uh, Uh, the bar stayed pretty full. Um, the whole team stayed around and we had a couple and and just celebrated with the people. It was for the people and, and they were loving it. And we were just glad we could bring it to
1: them. So that scene that we saw on TV where they kind of came up, mobbed you guys on the approach a little bit, you know, it's fair to say that that scene kind of continued in the bar area after you, after the cameras turned off. Oh
3: yeah. Uh, And, uh, I got some videos of some stuff uh, uh, during, after, and just so I don't know. There's some videos going around. I don't know who's seen them, um, but they come were on, come on, share with us. Yeah, when we had the cup, the fans started uh, chanting, fill it up. They wanted us to fill it up with champagne, you know? So Charlie Mitchell fills it up with a bottle of champagne. We pass it around, and we all take sips. And it gets to Timmy Mack, and on the approach, he dumped it over his head. A full (laughs) bottle of champagne all over the approach.
1: Yeah, I did see that I mean, it was
3: epic. It it was epic.
1: Yeah, Charlie's mad cool uh, about that kind of stuff. I asked him when we were up there for the PBA playoff uh, finals to watch the homie uh, that if the homie won, was I allowed to pop bottles on the approach? And uh, he told me, yeah, by all means, right ahead. Yeah, they're, they're mad. They're mad cool with how they do it up there. Shout to Portland once again. You know, we talked earlier this episode, Rye, about uh, Rob's trip up there, and he obviously had a lot of great things to say about it. So, you know, shout to, uh, shout to Portland. They did their thing again. You know, the, the energy on the shows was definitely high energy. I think you guys as the local team kind of making the final added to that last night, definitely. Uh, but, yeah, shout to them. They, they did their thing again. Uh, Rye, One thing we wanted to ask you about in connection to that is, uh, what are your thoughts on the Portland main atmosphere? You know, there, there's been a lot of talk about that. A lot of people have various opinions. Is that an atmosphere that should be on every PBA show?
3: Absolutely. Every one of them. Um, I would give anything to, to see that on a regular basis. It, it loosens for one. I feel like it loosens the guys up, you know, we can be ourselves in an atmosphere like that. Um, I don't know if people think that we're, like, playing it up and acting acting out for the fans when we're in that atmosphere and and doing stuff to get them riled up and everything. We're not. Like, we're just being ourselves. You, what you don't see on the quiet, uptight, high-stress shows is us being ourselves because of the high anxiety, high-stress high levels. Um, but on that show, on those shows... Man, you just you just be yourself. You do what you want to do. You you don't think, you just you just act, you just do and and whatever comes out it's okay. And you know it's okay, so you're you're not worried about it. You know, there's so much to worry about on top of what people think about you and on those shows you don't have to worry about that. So on top of everything else, I think every show should be like that, not only for us and for the fans, but for the people who aren't f- fans of bowling. If they see that, I think that is much more appealing to a sports fan in general. If they're flipping through the channels and they see something like that, that they can get into that over the stuff where it's so quiet you could hear a needle drop, you know.
1: Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Rob, thoughts.
0: I you know, I I've I had the same conversation with uh with one of the other tour players very uh, you know, famous tour player and we had this argument just in the fact that there are a lot of bowling traditionalists out there and there's a part of me and i'm not saying a major part of me but there's a small part of me that is a bowling traditionalist and just feel like ryan now now correct me if i'm wrong but you could see a portland main atmosphere in a u.s open type show where people are kind of like just dressing up in big banana costumes and nun costumes and uh, you know, and bowling for a U.S. Open title?
3: So, I don't know. There's got to be some sort of line, drawn where where maybe in the majors it's a little bit more traditional. I, c- I could see that. Um, but, like, for example, I know it's only one tournament out of the year, but the Phoenix Open or the the Waste Management Open in Phoenix when they do it in golf and they have the stadium hole and, and fans are there drinking from dusk till dawn and booing booing bad shots and going nuts over good shots and and it golf is is began to evolve over the past decade or so to a sport that everyone wants to watch it's not just the traditionalists that want to watch it it's it's gotten exciting and uh tiger was absolutely the beginning of it and he's really the reason it's it's gotten to where it's at but these young players, they're fun to watch, and and watching the Ryder Cup and watching the guys go nuts, um, playing against each other like Patrick Reed losing his mind, pulling out stuff like that, like that stuff. That's what people want to see. They want to see the emotions, and they want to see people be themselves. And um, as as a bowler, for me, it's hard for me to be myself in those high stress environments. It's a lot easier for us to be ourselves in an environment like Portland. And I feel like people want to connect to the bowlers and they want reasons to cheer for a bowler and they want to feel like they can relate. And us being ourselves is the best way for that to happen. And that's how I think our fan base grows. So I I don't know. I I do think that there's a, a place absolutely for the traditional and probably that would be the majors, I would guess. But if we want our sport to keep growing, I think that it has to be the high energy, um, keep your attention, especially with the new generation. It's hard to keep these young kids' attention for very long. And the traditional way of it is just not going to do that.
0: So Ryan, is Portland, Maine, the happy Gilmore of bowling?
3: Uh, That's a perfect way to put it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I could just see like, you know all the gut- bowling traditionalists like Shooter McGavin. You know, <laughs> and, and you got all the Portland Maine fans like Happy Gilmore fans, and it's just almost like a perfect uh, in that you
3: know comparison. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, I like oh, I can see it. Oh, oh, this is ridiculous.
2: What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this I agree. Calm. I think this is golf. Yeah, this is. I, think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I definitely think that you know other fans around the country like Bayside has their own way of doing things and they have a really unique way of doing things. And I think that other fans around the country can bring the same energy and really find their own way of doing that. Like it it might be more in style with the traditionalists where they give the player, you know, quiet time while they're in their approach. But yeah, I think you can still bring the same level of energy in-between shots, you know, without some of the pageantry that they might like to use at Bayside. But, you know, it's an interesting question, and we saw you get involved in the in the conversation on social media about that. So uh we definitely wanted to ask you about that. Uh We also want to ask you uh – we're going to change directions here a little bit, but we also want to ask you about growing up in Buffalo. You grew up in Buffalo, no?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He's from Buffalo where it's cold in summer. So <sighs> – we 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 want to ask you what it how how should we phrase this Rob? How much did growing up in Buffalo impact your bowling career? And we want to premise why we ask that because for people that might not be familiar or aware, Buffalo on the East Coast is known as as almost a a bowling mecca. I would say you know a lot of tons especially of especially back in
3: the nineties for sure.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like late nineties for sure. And and listen, in your answer, feel free to name drop whoever you want. Rob and I are bowling historians. We consider ourselves that. So we'll probably pick up on who you're talking about, but we just wanted to know how much growing up in that area from your perspective impacted your career.
3: Honestly, I think it's being there is 100% the reason of me choosing bowling. Um, I grew up in bowling alleys. My father actually brought in and coached when he was 15 or 16 years old, Dave Gwinden. And uh, full circle, now that I'm out on tour, I've surpassed my dad's knowledge of the game. And I go to Dave Gwinden for coaching at home. So it kind of came full circle. You know, my dad brings him in and, and now I'm looking to Dave as for for help uh, about the game past the foul line and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, I played baseball, I played football, I played hockey. Um, I I loved all sports, but ultimately, it was between baseball and football, and or sorry, baseball and bowling. And I I just felt like my percentage was just so much higher becoming a professional bowler than it was. Uh, a baseball player, so I just stuck with bowling. And uh, Wednesday nights over the summer, especially, those are the nights I'll never forget. My dad would take me up to Throughway Lanes, and there would be a summer sweeper. There was about 120 guys or so bowl the sweeper every week, and there was two pairs. They were right next to each other. And the the eight guys on those pairs were the guys that I looked to to try to emulate. And the reason I grew up hooking the whole lane, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think that I just play straight. Well, I grew up hooking the lane, and I could never play really anywhere left of 12. I I hated the gutter. I was scared of the gutter. If I wasn't in the third arrow, I was uncomfortable. And I had to be in the third, fourth. And the reason was because, I watched Dave Gwinden and I watched Brad Angelo and I watched Brad Kazuski and I watched, uh, how about Mike Newman? Can, I mm. mean, can we talk about how, how good that guy was?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah we can. I watched guys we like that. Can.
3: I watched <laughs> exactly. I watched guys like that every week. And those are the guys that I wanted to emulate. And what were they doing every week that I watched them bowl? They were hooking the whole damn lane. So that's, those are the guys I watch. Those are the guys that make me want to become a pro. And even though they weren't pros, they easily could have been. They were just making such a shit ton of money in amateurs. They didn't need to.
1: Yeah, Rob, you want to talk about Mike Newman? You want to give a little bit of history there?
0: Oh, man. Mike Newman's probably one of the best, if not the best, amateur bowler of all time. The guy ever. <laughs> ever. I mean, watch him at the Mega Bucks and just... Here and I don't think I even watched him during his really really prime in the '90s. I caught him in his last like few years, but I mean if there was anybody who needed a double to win a match, regardless of how much money was on the line, Mike Newman was the guy to throw those strikes. There was no doubt he was going to throw a double when you needed it or he needed it.
1: Yeah, I I remember him mainly in two ways. Uh, there were midnight marathons that used to be run at Carolier. Uh, on like Friday nights or Saturday nights, and one of my older friends from down in Philly would come up, and I would travel with him to watch. And, yeah, some of the bigger-name amateur bowlers would be there, and Mike Newman was was one of them. And he almost in one year, he almost made the show at the Johnny Petraglia Open as well. I forget what year it was. It was definitely when the 3D offset hammer was like the most popular ball out there, so whatever year that would have been. Oh, right? I mean, he – That had that had to like – give
3: me a second because I had that ball. 97, 98,
0: 96, somewhere around there because that ball was real popular when, when I was in my yeah. life. juniors, Like 15 or 16.
3: If I had to guess, yeah. I'd say 97.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd say 97,
1: yeah,
3: so, 98, somewhere
1: around there. I remember when he almost made the show at the Petraglia Open, mainly throwing that ball. But, uh, yeah, if, if for our listeners that aren't familiar – you know, definitely one of the best amateur bowlers, you know, kind of legendary amateur bowler, I would say. So, Ry, you you grew up in Buffalo. You mentioned that your dad, uh, you know, was was a student of the game, I guess it's fair to say. Was he your coach growing up?
3: Yeah, he definitely was. Uh, He taught me everything he knew about the physical aspects of the game.
1: Um, Obviously, the
3: game was changing as I was growing up big time. Um, Right when I was a kid, that's when we started making the the switch into – to reactive from urethane um, That's when the game Really started to change past the foul line And so my dad Taught me everything he knew about the physical And uh, He was smart enough to, to Look at the other guys, the younger guys that he was Mentoring and Told them, hey, you know I, I can't help him anymore You guys are going to have to, to come in and help him And Dave Gwinnon was really the guy To come in and say, I'm, I'm glad to And we spent Many hours through late, late nights uh, just working on shapes and understanding what the ball's doing and understanding why it's doing what it's doing according to your physical game. Um, Working on the flat spot at the bottom of the swing, trying to just elongate um, mainly steps four and five for me. And uh, that helped me really get a longer flat spot and I know a lot of a lot of people will say, well, the flat spot is not really a thing, but it definitely gives you an, an idea of what to look for um, at the bottom of your swing. And uh, working with him, what it really allowed me to do was it allowed for a bigger margin of error at the bottom of the swing, and that's really what the idea of the flat spot is.
0: That's a Mark, that's a, Hey Mike, that's a Mark Baker technique too. I mean, I hear Mark Baker when I worked with Mark Baker for a long time when I lived in California and he's still till this day, you know, I know preaches about the, the flat spot and uh, I guess a good, a good model of who had a, a one of the best flat spots was uh Marshall Holman because Marshall Holman used to be able to extend with that the big
3: slide and everything. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I know a lot of people say that it doesn't really exist, but I'm telling the other man, the flat spot is something I swear by.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I I tend to agree with that. So ha- where does your arm swing come from? right? Because that's like the most unique part of your game, I would say. So ha- how did you develop that unique arm swing?
3: Um, honestly, my I feel like my swing kind of developed itself based on what I bowl on. Um, so it was, it was a lot more fluid, I would say. I have a lot more muscle in my swing now, which is why my left arm has gotten so big. Um, I think what happened was, so like I said, it's going to kind of come full circle now. I, I grew up hooking the lane. Um, I had a really loose swing, and I wanted to see the ball go inside out. That's just the way it was. That's the way my picture was. And when I got out on tour... I realized lefties are really not allowed to swing the lane on, on tour. So for two, three years, I'm trying to go from inside of Rhino and PA to outside of them at the break point and back around. And I'm wondering why their carry percentage is higher than mine and why my misses are splits and theirs are nine. And they're making shows and PA made 300,000 and Rhino's play, uh, rookie of the year and I can barely make cuts. I couldn't figure it out. Well, I take a look in the mirror and I'm like, well, let's think about this. Logically, our windows are not designed. uh, The patterns are not designed for our windows to be where I had them. We have to play in the tunnel. We have to figure out how to play in that tunnel. And if you leave that tunnel, you do not make money. And I learned that not, not quick enough, I guess, but I, I learned it. And, uh, I realized my, my way to have shallow angles and, and play straighter was to throw it harder. I didn't really know how to back off the rev rate consistently enough. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to shut my angles down. And I'm going to throw it as hard as I have to to keep it, those angles that shut. And before I knew it, I was throwing it 20, 22 and you know, it just was what it was. And, and that was okay because it was working. And, uh, Back then it was with the storm natural and the urethane was coming back and it allowed me to get even further on top of it and not have to worry about how hard I was yamming on it or or I could throw 500 grit on it and not worry about it going through the face. And if it did, I'd just throw it even harder. And so my game really changed because of tour and what I felt like I needed to do to compete week in and week out.
2: Hmm.
0: Now Ryan, uh you, you brought up something about the you know, the PBA and kinda gives me a really good segue into my next question here. Uh, I wanted to talk about how um in your perspective the season went for you this year. Uh there, there were some controversial tweets you may or may not want to talk about in regards to what was going on with the conditions. Um, just wanted to kind of get hold your- on. I wanna
1: I wanna okay. interject Rob. I wanna interject uh-huh. Rob before you finish the question. Ryan say whatever you want. If you get fined, we got you. Tom Clark, come talk to us. So (laughs) continue on.
0: Yeah. I just want to see if you want to elaborate on the season uh, that you had and uh, what was going on out there um, with, you know, just uh, everything that happened in the, in the, in the previous, like six months.
3: All right. So, I mean, I think that there's more than just me to feel this way. And I don't think it's a lefty righty issue at all. I don't, I, I want to clarify that out of the gate. I don't think it's a problem with the left side. What what my issue is, is that it feels like every week, no matter the distance of the pattern, they all feel like the same pattern. 32 feet in Detroit, and the righties are sliding in the left gutter. 50 feet or whatever, however, it doesn't even matter the distance. 47 feet. Uh two days later, on the long pattern, they're sliding in the left gutter game too, okay, so you're telling me that these two patterns, fifteen feet different, and the righties are playing the same angles, and basically what what they do is for whatever reason, the patterns seem to be shaped the same way, and no matter the distance, what really seems to matter is the volumes and the shape of the patterns. the distance are are really almost irrelevant. So it feels like we're bowling on the same thing every week. Now, if that's the case, if you match up on one, you should be able to match up on basically every every one of them. And so the same guys keep bowling the best week in and week out. And what's bothering me is that I feel like if – let me think how I want to say this (laughs) – Okay, so (laughs) the best best bowlers in the world are all bowling on tour, right? Right. Absolutely. Okay, so so none of us do it the same. None of us want to see the same thing as our A game, and that's what makes us elite. So how come only 10% of the tour gets to play their A game virtually week in and week out? To me, that's not right. So, could you imagine? Okay, so Belmo and EJ and now Prather, these guys are the best in the world right now. Okay, I have no problem with that, really, because let's be honest, at what they're doing, they are the best. Could you imagine what would happen if the Nuts was two, three, four every week? Who'd be on every show? Would I, would I be one of them? I like to think so. So what you're doing is basically the environment is telling you who's going to be the best in the world. So instead of just having these patterns that every single one of them seems to play exactly the same, why, why do we not have more variety? How come, how come we do not have these distinct shapes and volumes and distances that force people and different types of physical games to come to the top yeah. Why, why am I bowling my C and D game every single week and watching the same 15 guys bowl their a game every week? How is that fair? I don't, I mm-hmm. just don't understand that.
0: Hey, Mike, didn't we hear uh, Tommy Jones kind of talk about the same thing when we interviewed him about the lane, the lane play and the, and, and, and how the the lanes and in, in, in d- different
1: patterns are playing the same. Am, am I correct with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's something that that uh, numerous players have brought up. But, Ry, let me let me play devil's advocate for just a minute, right? Because I want to hear what your response would be to to this. You know, it's okay. the equipment. The equipment's responsible for that. It's the surfaces. It's the aggressiveness of the balls. Where no matter what you put out there, they're going to get blown up. Everybody's moving left, and it's a contest of who can hook the lane and carry. What do you think about that perspective?
3: Okay, so to an extent, I, I suppose um, I do think that there should be and can be some regulations on those things. But I also feel like, how come, for example, I go to Thailand every year, and I've made five of the six shows that of the years I've gone. Um. So I, I have a good. I have whatever. Whatever you want to call it. They're fair. They're better for me over there. They're, it doesn't matter. My point is they bowl They bowl nine, nine game blocks. So they bowl three games, and they, that's your squad. And then they bowl another squad three games. And then they bowl another squad three games. So there's nine games. And then there's even a 12-game stretch where they don't run them. So you're talking nine to 12 games where they never run the lanes which is more than any block we bowl on tour. And yet the lanes never blow apart. Now, why is that? What have they figured out that we haven't? Hmm. And in my opinion, I think it's the front of the lane, the way the patterns are tapered front to back. There's, there's such a platform in the front of the lane and there's enough shape down lane that you don't feel like you have to create shape with surface that one guys don't use as much surface Two, the front stay intact, and three, that makes the integrity of the pattern stay intact. It, it, to me, it's not a hard concept, and and it's not just Thailand. It, I feel like every time I go anywhere in Asia, that's the case. How can we bowl ten games straight in Japan, and I never feel the front of the lane is an issue? Why? Why is that? And and game two and three, every tournament I bowl on tour, I'm fighting the front of the lane. Because I suck? No. But that, that's not why they're, they've figured something out that we haven't or, or the, I don't know I don't, I don't like to think of conspiracies and I don't believe that we just want to see certain people on TV I hear that stuff I don't necessarily believe that but they're sure feeding into the fact that it, it's starting to look that way I mean why, why, why do the patterns just cater every week to the same 15 guys they're damn good. They're, and guys like Belmo, they're going to make shows anyways. You don't, he doesn't need his A game to make a show. He doesn't need to, to, to loft the left cap and get further left than anybody to make a show.
2: He's good enough
3: to make shows and win without that. So why can't the rest of the guys that have different A games than that have their, their nut every, I don't know, once a month, once every two months, hell, once a season? I mean, it's been two years since I've had my, nut. I'm just wondering. Sorry. Now, well, now I'm venting.
1: No, no, it's okay. Cause I, I was just playing devil's advocate there. I mean, Rob, you lot watch a lot of bowling. I watch a lot of bowling and one of the comments that I make uh, after watching the world series almost every year is how, you know, there's these different patterns and so much uh, emphasis is put on the different patterns and, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the, the, the best eye in bowling, and I'm only watching on the Internet. But to me, it looks like a lot of them play the same way. You know, even to start, you're not you know, wrong. play the same way. And, you know, I've mentioned that to numerous people that I know in, uh, in the bowling community that compete at that level. And I've gotten different responses on it. But, yeah, I, I definitely, as a fan, as a viewer, Understand your perspective. I, I think I see it to to hold true somewhat in in viewing. And to me, I just feel like, come on, it can't be that hard. I mean, the PBA has more resources in bowling than anyone. Can't be that hard to develop patterns that are gonna that are gonna you know hold up or retain themselves better or force players to play the lanes in different ways. Rob, what are your thoughts?
0: You know. I had experience bowling at the world series of bowling uh, when it was at the South point, not the stadium, but the bowling center. And uh, I mean, it did play really similar. And it felt like the house has a very, very big factor in how the lanes play just the house tendencies. But you also have, uh, you know, a lot of these surfaces and, and everybody playing them the same or starting the same. And it just, yeah I mean you got more righties than lefties, and then the, guess what the righties are going to move to the left side and then it's going to completely blow up the left side as well, so you know there but is a the lot job. of don't,
1: don't you agree though don't you agree that there the resources are out there to uh to not have that happen if the powers that be don't want to have that happen yeah well, I mean of course they
0: could they could do anything they want to do with the lanes I mean they're the best PBA is the top, you know, organization when it comes to bowling, when, you know, when it comes to lanes and they should be able to do anything they want to do and make and stop anything from happening that they want to stop from happening. You know, I think that's the true problem. And with the just bowling industry, which is bowling itself in general, is that, you know what, (laughs) there's one guy who has a lot of control of what goes on in these tournaments. And it's the guy who, you know, puts the pattern out. Now I'm not, not saying the guy that is Actually, running the machine, but it's the company or the people that are in charge of figuring out what patterns are going to play and what tournaments, and that's a lot oh, of on, on
3: tour. On tour, that's that's the same guy now.
0: So same. So you got one guy. So there you go. He's the guy. you Ron. You, Ryan, you, you gotta got to get find out who one this guy. guy is. You got to find out who this guy is, and you <laughs> got to take him out. Oh no, I know who
3: he is. <laughs> oh well, then you <laughs> got to get buddy, buddy from Buffalo, man. Oh look at that! So, so he, he's saying. Man, he's hated lefties his whole life. It ain't it ain't it ain't a joke. It ain't it ain't hidden. It ain't it ain't a secret. Brother's left-handed. Hated him. Uh, he was the leader of the IHL with my father. Of all people, they hated lefties. They despise them. My dad despised them. He despised them. Everyone despised us. And they swear that that it doesn't go into it, and that they they want fairness, and they could care less. They're getting their checks and blah blah blah. But I watched this guy when I – I got a story for you. The guy running the lanes for the PBA, when I was 15 years old bowling high school at Thruway Lanes, I broke the New York State record for high school average at, like, at the time I think it was around 226 or 227 or something. Now that's only bowling half of my matches at Thruway Lanes. I'm bowling my other half in eight-lane houses, hand-oiled lanes, still spray guns and mops. And the following year, who gets hired at Thruway Lanes? The guy doing the lanes for the PBA now. And my average, only bowling half of my games at at Thruway Lanes, went from 227 to 202. And I'll never forget watching him with his arms crossed, pacing back and forth behind our school matches with this big-ass grin on his face like he was getting off on it. I was 15 years old and I remember it like it was yesterday. And this is the guy doing the leads for the PBA. Now, if it's not a lefty righty thing, whatever, fine. But if you're going to tell me that the guy's morals aren't twisted, I'm going to fight you on it.
1: Okay. Fair enough. You know, history there, obviously, Rob. Yeah.
0: That's, that's crazy. I mean, shit, I would be, you know, that's how oh, Mike, I mean, it, this is, the livelihoods, these guys. You know what I mean? Like they, they. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, listen,
3: guys. I, lost guys, I won, I won five times in eight months. I won five times in eight months. After yeah. that, he got hired. He. That's when he got hired to, to actually design the patterns. After mm-hmm. he started designing those patterns, I have now made, I believe, one national show and two two extra frame shows where he wasn't around to tweak patterns or do anything. Um mm-hmm. so you- I, and, and at the same time, now people are gonna say, Oh, well that's when you switch to motive and motive's just just that bad for you. Well, how come the during those same two years in the Masters and the US Open, the two tournaments each year not ran by the PBA, not ran where Sean Perry has nothing to do with them and there's a different guy oiling the lanes and designing the patterns. Do I finish seventh, eighth, seventh, and twelfth? So I have four top 12 finishes in two, in two majors back to back years in USBC events during the same time where I can't even make a check on the PBA after winning five times in eight months, you're going to tell me that that's coincidence? You're going to tell me that I magically wake up and learn how to bowl those weeks when the USBC runs the lanes? The facts are telling themselves now. I'm not just bitching anymore. Look at the facts. End of story.
0: Oh, my yeah. man's got the
3: evidence to to back
0: that up, Mike. He's Yeah, no well, joke. listen.
1: That's one of the interesting things about bowling is that the statistics are the statistics, right? And the numbers don't lie. You know, and the statistics don't lie. And uh yeah, I mean, if the patterns are there, they're there. And I, by patterns, I don't mean lane patterns. I mean patterns of statistics or statistical analysis. Uh, yeah, it just makes me think that it would be interesting if there was some more of this, uh, you know, like the things that are going on in other sports with analytics, you know, if that was applied to bowling at a higher level, you know, exactly what we would see. Uh, Rob, maybe me and you can get into that uh, and, and do some research there. But, Ry, you know, listen, like th- things aren't likely to change. Right. And And say things don't change. You know, what what are you in the lab working on? What do you feel like you need to do to to get better and to overcome the adversity that you're facing out there?
3: I think the number one thing for me is is tilt. It seems like it seems like the couple lefties that have done well, and obviously Butter um, is uh, not human, but it seems <laughs> like what they have in common is that their ball doesn't fight the front of the lane. And so they don't even realize that the front of the lane is an issue because their ball floats through it pretty easily. Well, for me to create tilt, obviously tilt is the hardest thing in bowling to manipulate. And what sucks is that during the time when I was talking about the first couple of years I came out on tour and I was trying to hook the lane and you just can't hook the lane. Well, a lot of the reason was because I had a lot of tilt. So my ball was clean. It was sharp off the, off the end of the patterns and I created a lot of shape. So as I was throwing it harder and creating shallower angles, I also started to get rid of tilt.
2: And I am now,
3: I'm now to a point where I have, I think four degrees of tilt. I mean, it's virtually non-existent and I think that if I could get like to 12 to 15 degrees of tilt, that the front of the lane wouldn't be near as much of a problem as it is for me. And I have been working on it. And I just, for whatever reason, I don't know if maybe my wrist just isn't, I don't know. I I feel like it's going to go. I don't, I don't really know. Um, It hurts for me to get my wrist into a position to create that much tilt. So, I don't know that that's in the cards for me. Um, I'm just sitting back hoping that enough people are are talking about diversity of patterns to where we can all just get a chance. I mean, I'm okay watching these guys run them over if I'm going to get my chance at running them over. I just, I hope that we decide to change our patterns up enough to where, every great bowler doing something great gets their chance to shine.
1: Yeah, I think the bottom line for me as a viewer is I I, I would like to see more parity in uh in the patterns. And I would like to see bigger differences um, you know, more more shapes going down the lane as opposed to, you know, Rob you alluded to the fact that you thought they started the same a lot. You know, I, I feel that's true. Watching, and I also feel like, regardless of what they start, like a few games into it, you know, everybody's left of twenty twenty-five anyway. So, yeah, I would definitely like to see. Can I tell um, you?
3: Can I tell you what I th- what I think is a, a solution? Absolutely. I think a big part of it is the this new standard of how hard patterns need to be with these low low ratios and. I think that that is dumb. I think patterns being that hard is stupid because every pattern, no matter the length, no matter the volume, if it's 1.5 or 1.8 to 1, they're virtually flat. And they, okay, you can create a little more shape in a certain part of the pattern and still say that it's 1.8, but there's actually more shape. You can say all of that stuff. But the bottom line is, when they're that flat, it makes it that much easier for the righties to chew out the track. So, why why can't we make patterns softer again to force people to play where they're softer? When when you had to play cheetah straight out outside of five, where there was enough shape to force guys to play that shape, and then why can't we do that in different zones of the lane and, and on different volumes and have them start off softer to force guys to play that zone instead of making them so more or less difficult to where the guys have to carve them up to make them easier. You're forcing the guys to do that. So you're forcing them to do it and you know where they're going to do it is the track. So they're going to do it from 12 to 15. They're going to destroy them there because that's where where righties want to play. Hell, that's where I would want to play. I'll play 12 to 15 on anything. If I, if there's, hook left of me but we don't On the left, we don't get that opportunity to, to obviously carve them up that's another story but why why this new standard came about about our scoring paces and this and that are, are too high and and they bowl on stuff that's too easy that that's all bullshit why can't the best bowlers in the world average 240 why is that not okay why can't the best bowlers in the world average 230 why is that not okay
2: they we, do a lot. We
3: had these scoring, and they, that's my point. They still do, but now you've taken out eighty percent of I the mean, field because yeah. they can't do that. And one hundred percent, you you you're making my point by saying they
1: still do. I hear you're you. right. No, listen, and I, I I mean, you you no matter what they put out there, it seems like it, there's a couple exceptions. I'm not going to say that there's no exceptions, but regardless of what goes out there somebody with some kind of style trick, et cetera, match up, wax them in averages two thirty, two forty. Anyway. I mean, it just exactly. so happens that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, over long, uh, long stretches of games, I guess, is the phrase I'll use. A lot of times it happens to be similar guys who are doing a similar thing. Right. And that's why I say as a viewer, I would like to see differences. I, I Personally, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, to me, I think making them fresh and trying to keep the lanes fresh has to be part of that equation, right? If that means that I've, you limit I've, I've them pitched
3: the five, six game blocks to them too, I've I mean, not I,
1: I even mean two game blocks because I, I feel like after two games, you know, that's when they really start to go and they they open up and you know whoever has them figured out or has the look really excellent. So like, I would love to see a PBA tournament where every two games the lanes are redone. You know, so you're basically in a perfect, in a perfect
3: world. Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, so I, I would agree. like to see more variety like that. You know, I, I think as a viewer, as a fan, you know, that's really interesting. I'm not really commenting on it from the, the side that you are from the technical side of it, because I don't have enough knowledge to comment on it, comment on it that way. But from the viewer's perspective, I would love to see more variety like that. But, uh, yeah, really interesting to hear, you know, what, what you feel like you need to work on. And, you know, we know you guys are always working hard and always trying to improve your game. So, you know, good luck, and, and, and we hope you figure it out, man. You know, you a few years ago, Thank like you alluded to, you were one of the, the top players out there. So um, we wanted to ask you a, a, a little bit about your personal life, too. We didn't want to talk all bowling tonight. Uh, I okay. follow you on social media. So I know you just made a big move. You know, you're from Buffalo, but you just made so how did that go?
3: Yeah, the move went great. Um, we just wanted to get out of New York. We decided that, you know, we like to live a certain lifestyle. We we want some nice things. We want to be able to go on vacation when we want. And uh, New York State's just, I can't, I can't afford to do that there, not with what's been going on on tour. And uh, so we decided to move down south where property taxes are next to nothing, where you can get more house for your money, where... The weather's nicer. I don't have to deal with 110 inches of snow every winter. Um, so we got away from that, and we're as happy as can be. We It feels like we wake up on vacation every day. Um, my wife got a great job offer down here, and so she's technically working for someone, but she's also self-employed as a, uh, basically a psychologist, a, a therapist, um, family counselor type, and uh she she's going to be working with with clients of all all shapes and sizes and and uh honestly she could be making more money than me next year who knows but um we just have a lot of great opportunities down here as a family and it's going to be good for our son
1: hmm. now I, how about in terms of uh you know uprooting like are are you guys on your own down there now or do you have family that uh, relocated with you, or was there family that was down there already?
3: Um, So her parents moved to um, west of Hickory, which is about an hour and 40 minutes from us. Um, I just got word after a few months that her dad is kind of going stir crazy there because there's not enough for him to do. Um, I hear he's actually looking to – to move much closer to us, i actually off of the same route that we're off of. So I don't know how serious that talk is, but we could have, I could have my in-laws right down the street. Um, my wife's sister just got a job and has moved down here and is closing on a condo next month. So we're going to have her down the street. And uh, as you know, the bowling world is, is awfully big, so I know all kinds of bowlers down here and... Uh, really good friends like chuck gardner's 30 minutes from me so um we got we got enough people and enough family down here that um we don't feel we don't feel out of place we don't feel uncomfortable um it, it just it feels right
1: no doubt man uh, hey i love the interior decoration on your house dog is that you or the wife <laughs> uh, that's all me baby <laughs> <laughs> oh rob you hear this this guy's a part-time interior decorator over here yeah, I was yeah you more... need some help you call me up i got you
0: yeah
3: oh I was more... hey listen up. i was more
0: interested in his wife's services man I, I know a lot of people who could use some therapy well
3: <laughs> what do you think keeps me off the ledge i, I mean i'm talking to you and i'm pouring my soul out to you about how tilted i've been for two years you think you think I'd be even? I'd be in an insane asylum if I wasn't married to a therapist, man. She's she's every time I pick up the phone, she's like, "All right, let the session begin."
1: So listen, yes, uh, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I just bought a house last year, so I've been looking for some dope decorations for my house. I'm not gonna lie to you, you know, El Ray Fine Art. I, I I hit her up after I saw that painting in your house, and you um, well, I'm 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 working on getting one of those myself. So. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I like the style, man. I give dude, you, she, give you props she, just did, she
3: just did, she just did a black and gold one. I don't know if you saw it, if you follow her now, on Instagram, I do posted it, dude. It looks
1: I so thick. It. Yeah, no, I saw oh, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very, uh, very interesting stuff there. So props to you, man. I, uh, I definitely have an eye for that stuff as well. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give you, give you a shout on that. I, I also awesome. heard Thanks, that man. you, that you recently joined a UBA team since you moved down south. Yeah, man,
3: Carolina swag. Got to rep them. Yeah, we just uh, we just had the, uh, I guess it would be the district final. Uh, it was us, uh, the Hitmen, and Synergy, and we were bowling off to make the, uh, the finals, I guess you could say. And uh, we beat Hitmen. We lost to Synergy. So then we had to do, like, a, a little roll-off thing, and uh, Hitmen bowled out of their minds at us in the roll-off. Um, I think we bowled 730 on the scratch pair and we lost by, like, 50. I bowled 278. We Both the other guys both had high 220s, and and we got beat up pretty good. So hats off to them. I honestly – I left. It's two hours from my house, so I had left. I don't even know which team actually ended up winning. But whoever won, hats off to them, and good luck.
1: Yeah, Flow Bowling is going to be covering uh, the UBA's end-of-season event this year, Battle Bowl. So I know most of you guys yeah, are probably – yeah, you'll probably be in Virginia bowling. I, but, uh,
3: yeah, exactly. They kept begging me to go. I'm like, man, it's like five hours from where we're going to be in Virginia, and out to make that back and forth—that's five hours, a little too much to be going
1: back and forth. Yeah, true. Uh, but if you do get a chance some year, you should—you uh, should try and hit Battle Bowl. It is—it definitely is something. Dude, I heard crazy. it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an crazy. exciting event. Yeah, I—I I mean, I bowled it before. I've been around for it before. I ran a. A fundraising raffle at one of the battle bowls a few years back that was around my way but uh yeah it's definitely an interesting event so if you get a chance you should definitely check it out at some point so good to hear that Kyle Troop is getting a lot of action through the UVA I saw him on Facebook bowling a match the other night I know he's got a two thousand dollar match battle bowl lined up how about you you getting anybody that wants a piece that wants that smoke that's calling you out oh yeah yeah I
3: I got I got a
1: I think What are these guys, fucking
3: crazy? Lost, so I, what are lost, these guys, crazy, I lost, Rob?
2: I lost one match.
3: I lost one match to Yo-Yo. Um, I had beat him before, so then I lost a match to him a couple weeks ago. Um, told him to run it back at the tournament. We were about to bowl later, so I got that back from him later that night. But other than that, no one's beaten me yet. Um, I'm, I'm taking all bets. I, I want them all. Let's go, guys. Yes. I'm scared down here. Yeah. Dude, they're not scared down here. It's awesome. These guys—they no, they want it. They,
1: let, dude, listen.
3: You how much it. do I, I have? To, how
1: much do I have to get you in bets at Battle Bowl for you to come to Battle Bowl instead of the PBA event?
2: Oh man, five thousand. Well, bets? first of all. <laughs>
3: I still would have to pull the PBA event though because there's like a rule. Right,
2: come on, we, that we have. You know, to. At,
1: right, they're shutting out the lefties, so you know, you go, you do your thing, you know, you get you know, shoot up the there. On, on yeah, you, but we'll, we'll talk off there about that. You hit me up about that. We we know we know big people in the UBA. We know Dougie. He's he was on the show. We're getting ready to release an episode. We we might be able to make that happen. So we'll we'll hit you up about that. Uh, let's talk I'm, a little okay. let's talk a little bit a h a little bit of hip hop because I, as I said, follow you on social media. I know you're a hip hop guy. Who who are your so favorite that, rappers? Who are you into?
3: Well, I mean, I I think the greatest of all time is Eminem. I think mm-hmm. he is by far the best lyricist I've ever heard. I don't think anyone has the punchlines has the the wordplay like he does i don't think anyone even compares um but when it comes to a little bit of the the older school like even before him um i'm more of a biggie than a tupac guy i don't I'm, i don't know if it's cuz i'm from new york or what but um i i know tupac is more of a storyteller than biggie was biggie was more of the more of the everyday life. This is what I do. This is, this is my life. And he rapped about that. And Tupac was about change and, and about evolution and, and about rights and, and they're both, they were both great. Don't get me wrong, but I'm definitely more of of a, of a biggie guy. Um, I think that there's quite a few underrated rappers that, that I wish got more, more of the light than they did. Um, Matter of fact, I was just talking to my friend and my wife last week while we were up in up in Portland. I started banging Mace again. And I think Mace was a little under underappreciated being under Diddy with Diddy and, and Biggie's thing. And I think Mace didn't quite get enough attention back then. Um I like guys like him. I think Jewel Santana didn't get enough attention because of killer. Um I just man, some of those guys were so much better than they got credit for just because they were a part of something that was i guess I don't the know if it was just up.
1: yeah the, yeah the, more uh,
3: hyped up by the public or what but yeah
1: no, and it, and it, like, it was the height of an era where you know when you're when you're in the same era as guys like Biggie and tupac, you know you're you're definitely gonna have to work harder to take the shine away from those guys for for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah. But like these guys get they get affiliated with the with a, a group to to more or less get on the map and then they like they can't get out from the shadow of the group. So like Killa had dipset obviously. So Jewell's was always under the dipset shadow and he just I don't think he got enough credit as a solo. Um perfect example again would be G unit and I think Lloyd Banks was just fire. And I just don't think Banks got enough credit.
1: Yeah, the guys that fall under the radar a little bit for me, one would be Black Thought from The Roots. I, I definitely think that lately he's okay. getting a lot of credit. All right. Yeah, but especially being from Philly, that was somebody that, you know, I, I was really into. Okay. But listen, I'm I'm going to make an album suggestion to you, okay, that, that I got put on to recent. It's uh, Benny the Butcher, and the name of the mixtape is The Plugs I Met. So you you can, okay. you can take note right and they're actually from Buffalo these guys. So, you know, oh, shit. you yo oh, yeah, you might have a connection there with the Buffalo thing, but uh yeah, check that out and hit me up on social media. Let me know uh let me know what you think, but we're going to switch up one okay. of our questions, our regular questions that we ask our guests all the time. So instead of asking you who the goat is, which we've asked a lot of our guests, here's what we're going to ask. We're going to flip it up a little bit. Who is mm-hmm. the the most appropriate uh Analogy, comparison to Biggie Smalls on on the on the PBA tour.
3: Biggie Smalls on tour, I think. Go in,
1: it, go in any direction you want with it. Take it any way you want.
3: I just think because he was about his day to day life, and he was about the hustle, and he was proud of everything he was, and he had attitude about it. I don't know how you can't compare him to Pete Weber. I mean, to me they're because because of the the age and the the legendary status of them and who we are as our generation looking at them. I think it has to be someone older. I think it has to be a legend. I think it has to be a badass. And I think it has to be someone who wasn't scared to act their way and and do the things that they wanted to do. And to me that that all says Pete
1: Weber. See to me, Pete Weber's Tupac. You know he's thug like oh, oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. He's thug like like. Yo, I'll I'll come by and 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 get in everything you want. I mean, thugged out. Takes the shots. Gets shot Pete. a few times and comes back from it. I don't know. Biggie's a tough one. Biggie's a tough comparison. You know. Okay. I would I would have to. I think I'd have, to I'd me Tupac. To go ahead. Tupac with his storytelling and his and
3: his. His want for change and his want for evolution and his want for, for knowledge and his his hunger for knowledge, I, that's okay. that's more of like a Walter way a Walter Ray to be. like he mm. I don't I don't see, I I don't see that I don't see Pete Weber in that I get it I get what you're saying, but to me when I think of that and I think of what Tupac was about I I think more of like Walter, he's all about the intellect he's all about the change and all about the evolution, hell now he's bowling two handed he's all about progress and that's all Tupac was
1: about. Mm. Walter Ray to me is like Big Daddy Kane. He's like he he's the guy okay, who was okay. getting it done. He was getting it done with the older style, right? He showed everybody else the way a little bit, but he was getting it done with the older uh-huh, style uh-huh. Amongst, the, amongst the younger guys. So, yeah, that's a that's an interesting that. conversation. We're we're going to have to continue that, that at some point. The next time we uh the next yeah, time no, we no. have more we'll have to pick that up. But uh One other question that we ask all our guests, and I I need to hear this from you. What is your favorite ball ever?
3: Favorite ball ever. If I had to pick one with a gun to my head, it has to be the Nexus Solid.
1: Mm. That was a super popular ball when it first came out.
3: I mean... I can't. Th- I mean, I can think of five balls off the top of my head that I thought were absolutely fantastic balls. That includes the Venom Shock, um, mm. but but I think that the best ball for when it came out and what we were bowling on and what we needed, the Nexus Solid was all of it. And if I, I mean, there was a time I think I had four or five of them in my bag. I mean, I I couldn't get enough of that ball. Made me a lot of money nope. too
1: no, doubt. absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure that makes a difference too. But uh Ry, you're you're a motive guy now, yes. Any other any other companies you want to plug other than Motive? Who else is supporting your uh, your career out there, man?
3: Yeah, obviously Motive, but uh we got Turbo Grips. They've been behind me since since I really spoke to them about being interested and they were all about it. They've been all about me ever since and thanks to them for that and uh they take care of me great. Um Genesis with a uh, tape for my wrist mainly um, actually having some wrist pain as we speak. And the the tape is really, really helping. It helps with support. It helps relieve the pain. When I bowl, it helps relieve inflammation. So Genesis tape is huge. And bowler X, man, they, they came onto the scene strong. They got a ton of bowlers involved. They are very involved. They love the PBA and man, they, they just do it right over there. They, they know what they're doing and, and I can't, everyone needs to go check out Bowler X. Just great, great people. They're great to deal with from a business aspect and they have great, obviously great product. They, they know what they're doing. They're going to get it to you in a, in a timely manner. Um, just,
1: just great people. No doubt. So listeners, you heard, these are the companies that are supporting the sky. You know, they, they make it possible for these guys to do what they do. So, go out and show those companies our support and our love. Uh, right. Thanks for the interview, man. Uh, if you get that fine note us notice, hit us up, feel free to text us <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we can on that. And uh, yeah, man, we'd love thanks. to have you back on sometime. You know, we wish you luck uh, with this summer swing coming up and uh, yeah, man, good luck. We want to see things turn around for you, dude.
3: Thanks guys. I appreciate it.
1: That's right. All right, man. Take All it right, easy. Guys. You too. Rob,
0: Ooh, man, my man, yo, I love, I love the honesty, man. Just coming out and just, yo, he letting it out, bro. He let
1: it out of us. I think we might be helping pay a fine, Rob. Yeah, you know, you're helping pay the fine, man. I'm
2: just <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: man, no. what a, what a yeah, very, yeah.
0: Honest, very honest, very straightforward, though, yo. Let's being honest though. It's not like. it's not like he's blowing smoke or talking shit like he, yo, he's backing it up. He's not just like blowing smoke out of his ass. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying. And as I said, during the interview, I think that in many instances, there's the statistical data there to back it up. It's bowling. I mean, numbers are numbers, results are results. So, you know, from a fan's perspective, I, I definitely think that more variety, um, you know, wouldn't be a bad thing. C- Rob kind of surprises me that to hear, and I, I you know, I'd like to hear a comment from this, you know, get at us on social media at the two on fifth, at Brooklyn, Rob at sweep the rack. You know, I'd love to hear comments from tour guys on this. Ka- Ryan was alluding to the fact that there's mainly one person in charge of designing and implementing the patterns on the PBA tour. Was I hearing that correctly? Yeah, that's what he said. And he's not a big fan of lefties. Yeah. So it kind of surprises me to hear that there would only be one person involved in that process. I mean, that's definitely not the way that I would envision it. I would envision it more as a committee, you know, involving numerous players or stakeholders in the PBA and, you know, kind of deciding what direction things should go in and, you know, making sure that, that there is variety and is parity and that there is fairness in what's put out there.
2: Hmm.
0: I think that's a good question to direct to Tom Clark and, you know, love to hear his thoughts on it or, or maybe, you know, his reaction on social media, but yeah, even if, uh, you know, we can get him on for a few minutes in the next coming shows to get his uh, feedback for that would be pretty cool.
1: I think, no? Yeah. What's up? Let us know. Let us know. Get at us. We ain't that hard to find. Uh, so, yeah, great interview. I mean, very honest there. Uh, love to hear his thoughts uh, about some of the things going on. And uh, sounded like a great party up in uh, in Portland, Rob. Yo,
0: my man uh, Kyle, dude, when he was at the airport uh, and they were not – I mean, sorry, when he wasn't at the airport and they were paging his name, I, all I could just think of is just like him just like passed, still passed out on the rooftop of that bar basically <laughs> like – you know, but yeah, man, what a great, what a great event though. What a great finish. And, uh, the Portland number Jacks winning in there, uh, you know, in Portland just, you know, was, was pretty incredible, I think. And it definitely, uh, it was, uh,
1: was like the icing on the cake of a great event. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. So, uh, great to hear from Rob. We'll, we'll have him back. Yes, Rob. Oh yeah. We could have him on every week and this, it would be a great interview. Absolutely. All right. So uh, we're going to move it forward, Rob. And, and, and this week, in honor of the PBA League and the PBA League wrapping up and your trip to Maine, et cetera, uh, we're going to do a flat 10 list for the people. Yes?
0: Yep. We'll hit it right now. Let's go.
2: Jeez,
1: so, Rob, our flat 10 list this week, in honor of the PBA League, is going to be. 10 things that uh, we can't stand about league bowling. Mm. <laughs> oh, league bowling.
0: Ugh, my arch enemy. Freaking league bowling. Not a not normally a big fan of league bowling, but you want to start it off or you want me to go, Mike? Uh, you go first on this one. Okay, my first thing that I hate about bowling league is – the one guy who bowls five leagues in your home house averages over 220 in every league, but won't step foot on a sports shot tournament or any kind of tournament outside of that bowling center. That's one of my first pet peeves about being a bowling league and being around league bowlers.
1: So is it fair to sum that up and say that one of your pet peeves about bowling league is people who think they're a lot better than they are? absolutely oh that's yes absolutely okay i i agree with that 100% 100% yeah uh all right first thing that i really can't stand about league bowling is body odor <laughs> is the fact that some of you some of you grimy bastards out there who bowl leagues you really don't know how to wash your shit up And that's that's just telling the truth. You know, people come to lig smelling like uh, uh, onions in a hoagie factory, okay? And it's just not appropriate. You know, wear deodorant, shower before lig if you have to, you know, scrub those cheeks extra good. You know, when you're coming to the bowling center, though, people shouldn't have to deal with your your bodily odor as a part of their lig experience. Mm. Use some deodorant, people not hard please
0: (laughs) okay so my next one is the guy there's always one or two guys in your league who bitch and complain about everything the scores are too high the scores are too tough the lanes are too tough the 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 left side's too easy this two hand there on my pair was playing an arrow left of me Uh, The the approaches were sticky. The air conditioner is not working. The bar isn't open. Mike, every freaking minute, they're bitching about something. Like, just bull. Fuck.
1: Yeah, uh, sounds like my homie Stumpo, and we're going to welcome him on the show at some point in the near future. He doesn't listen to the show because he's too cheap for a Flow subscription. Uh, Shout to all my my Flow ballers out there. And, uh, yeah, so we'll bring him on unknowingly and, and make fun of him because, yeah, he's the atypical guy that you just described.
2: Uh, all right, Rob,
1: so my, my second reason here, we're each getting five here as we always do. My second thing, and, you know, I am Big Mike. You know, I, I do have a penchant for snacks and food, etc. And one of the things that really gets me about bowling league is I tend not to eat while I'm bowling, but there's a lot of people who enjoy – A decent meal while they're bowling, and I have to deal with the smells of their food. You know, I I have to smell the wings, I have to smell the boneless chicken wings, I have to smell the fries or the pizza. You know, and and yeah, for for a big guy, it's kind of hard when you get those whiffs to just ignore it and, and go about your business. You know, a lot of times, even though I've I've already eaten dinner. You know, I gotta go up and get a little get a little boneless wings order because I caught a whiff of something that somebody had a couple lanes away and it just got me like that.
0: <laughs> Yo, know, bowling the bowling uh bowling alley snack bar food is very underrated, Mike.
1: Uh it depends what bowling alley snack bar you're talking about.
2: You know. I, <laughs> okay, I know some point.
1: gems. I know some gems like shout to the old snack bar at Roosevelt Lanes. When I was in college You used to go there for dinner sometimes. That's how good it was. But Rob, I got to say, you know, some of these corporate snack bars that that they got right now, I, I'm by far from cheap. Anybody that calls me cheap is lying. But I got to <laughs> tell you, man, some some of these meals that they have at some of these corporate bowling centers, it's like $16, $17 for chicken fingers. Right, that's just crazy. I don't know about yeah. that, but crazy. All right, let's continue. Your third reason, Rob,
0: uh, the guy who posts on Facebook – uh, every time he bowls league and he comes home at night and he posts scores game by game scores and a breakdown analysis of what happened in league that night.
2: Oh, well, they oh, transitioned yeah. the
0: second game. We only took two points. And then the third game I switched to my, you know, so-and-so ball and I ended up shooting 260 and I won the, the $35 eliminator. But look, bro, I don't care. Nobody cares. And you know, what bothers me even more than that, Mike, is the people who comment and like that status. You're just feeding. You're feeding this guy. Like he doesn't, Mike, they don't, this guy's an alcoholic. He don't need any more drinks. And you likes and comment people out there that are, that are supporting this shitty ass status. You should be ashamed
1: of yourselves too. Fair enough. I'm going to go in a similar direction for my third reason. And that's the guy who posts the video of the 300 he shoots
2: <laughs>
1: with a number the of how many times you've done it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course. And like what ball used, right? He's got to give a shout out to the company, probably tags a couple people in it so that they see the post and know that he did this. And it's just like, come on. I mean, haven't we reached a point in the in the recreational side of the game bowling on the typical house shit where uh, a 300 has kind of lost its uh, allure? Am I wrong about that? Or? Yeah, completely lost its allure.
0: There's no there's nothing any special about shooting 300 these days. Honestly, like, I feel like that USBC needs to kind of try to step in and, and, and regulate the, the league lanes uh, and make the 300s and 800s a little bit more respectable.
1: But that's a whole nother conversation when we have more time to talk about it. So listen, if you're one of those people posting 300s on Facebook, check yourself. Check yourself. It ain't even Facebook worthy. Go ahead, Rob. What's your fourth reason?
0: Uh, The last league I bowled, they used to actually let people practice on the pairs before the league started, which to me was like the worst thing you could possibly do. Uh, So we used to have these people that used to come and they used to just bowl on one lane. And they used to bowl like eight or nine games before league, they used to show up two hours early on your pair. And then right when you're about to start practice, they would stop bowling and nobody's been bowling on your right lane. And then they would move to their fresh pair that nobody's bowling on, but they have freaking eight games on your left lane. And then they would let their whole team bowl in the left lane. So they're all practicing just on the left lane. Now, dude, like, why am I like, you got, got, should we oil the lanes or something?
1: I hated that shit so much, Mike. Okay, fair enough. Uh, my fourth reason that I – fourth thing that I really – have a pet peeve about with the league bowling is the guy who gets hyped for no reason. <laughs> yeah. There's always, there's always those people in the league who, you know, it's week six and it's, it's like very early in the league and you know, they are running them out and slapping them out and fist pumping them out. And then, you know, I tend to, when somebody does that, particularly when they're bowling against me, I almost feel the need that I have to identify why they're doing that. Right, because I need to find out, like, is this directed at me? Do you want this smoke? Like, are you trying to get me hype? Are you trying to bring my hypeness level up a few notches? So I'll ask them, like, oh, you know, are, are you in the pots? No. Oh, what place are you guys in? Oh, we're in eighth out of a 12-team league. And, and I just have to ask them, like, well, then why are you getting hype? Why are you all hype? Are you hype because you're beating us? Or are you? I don't understand. What's the hypeness about? But they just seem to get hype. Uh, crazy. Yeah. So my last
0: thing is the leagues that set a really low team max. Like, oh, well, the four man league that Thursday night is an eight twenty average cap. So literally, like you, like people, if you're a two twenty five or two thirty average. You literally have to try to find 170 and 190 bowlers to bowl with. So guess what that guess what ends up happening after that league is people sandbag and they dump because they want to fit and they want to bowl and they want to fit in this cap max. So I feel like if you really want to these competitive leagues with these higher average and these house shots these days, when they start limiting or, or maxing these caps at like 815 or 820 for a four man team. It's your the leagues are a like um, are the reasons why people dump so they could fit in their in their in their leagues.
1: Okay, fair enough. And my last reason is going to be something that I probably that I probably ranted about on this podcast before at some point. But if I haven't, you know, it's a it's definitely a huge pet peeve with me. I just can't stand the fact that leagues have to be thirty six weeks all the time. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't understand where we came up with this, you know, 36-week format, and then we go into the summer league. Like, I think it's driven so many people away from bowling. I think it's one of the things that has crushed league bowling in general is that, you know, in order to commit to a league, you have to commit for 36 weeks. You know, well, why can't there be leagues that are only eight weeks? Why can't there be leagues that are six weeks? Why can't there be leagues that are less weeks, but you bowl more games, hmm. right? Why has the hmm. traditional format in terms of the scheduling for league bowling never really been, you know, messed with, tampered with, targeted with? I don't know. It's just a real pet peeve with me. I think that if, the, if we change that or we were willing to make more changes to that, I think it would, it would open up bowling leagues to a whole new sect of people who can't make that kind of commitment, or don't have the passion for the game to make that kind of commitment?
0: That's a good point, Mike.
1: I agree with you completely. i was thirty-six.
0: That's a dude. That's such a big commitment. I can't even commit to a girl that long, let alone a league. You feel me? Feel you, dog. Feel
2: you. <laughs>
1: All right, Rob. That's our flat ten. Wrap it up. All right. Let's do it. But we went flat 10 Hope you enjoyed that one uh, So Rob, we're going to get the people out of here We kind of went marathon style again this week, no? Yeah, I mean, but it was a good
0: episode Dude, We had a lot to cover, so I hope everybody enjoy- enjoyed it
1: Rob, I don't want to hear any bullshit about paying that fine either If we, If he gets a fine, we're both chipping in Hear that bullshit
2: Yo, Don't I break up shit
1: back over a little bullshit fine.
2: I
0: already spent a hundred dollars that you 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 got me from winning your action match, man. I'm, I, yeah, well, I respect. got
1: I got you a hundred. So if we got to throw in fifty each for a fine, then so be it. You know, we're still hmm. up fifty. You know. Oh, yeah, no, I'm no. still waiting to hear too. I'm still waiting to hear on a uh, you know if anything's going down for this Friday.
2: You know, uh, it's still a little
1: early in the week when we're recording this, but you know, I'll let you it. know. I'll hit yep. you up through text if anything is going down this week if anybody wants that smoke on the sports shop you feel me yo come come get it man come get it come get it that's right that's right let's get it in no easy shit over here we don't play those games so uh rob i feel like it was a good episode i hope everybody enjoys it uh not too much to say any final thoughts
0: yeah just uh, get us
1: a follow man
0: sweep the rack on Instagram, I'm trying to get the Instagram uh, more active and going. We had some good posts and videos from uh, Portland, Maine. You know, get us uh, uh, sweep direct rack Twitter, man. Trying to get those followers up. You know, try to get this bigger for you guys, for the fans. So let's just keep, keep, you know, keep this rolling. Let's let's go.
1: Yeah, hit us up. Give us a follow on social media. Rob and I are very active on there, not just with bowling but with other stuff as well. So definitely give us a follow. Uh, at sweep the rack on all platforms feel free to email us at sweep the rack at gmail uh rob your your twitter is at brooklyn brooklyn rob mine is at the one fifth. absolutely give at flow bowling a follow we all know that uh so yeah rob shout to the people we'll be back next week and rob i think we're gonna have a contest for them though no? yeah we're working on it you know see if we could get a contest going and uh give some more uh give some more things out to the people yeah, contest, big things going down. All right, stay tuned. All right, Rob, have a good week. I'll catch up with you, homie. All right, late.
0: Flow Bowling presents Sweep the Rack podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike.